Jesus. down to the Mackenzie's. No, no, my daughter. Let's go. No, my Call the police. Welcome to another episode of the Halloween Horrorthon and a very special edition of the Film Effect Podcast where we take all things horror to the full effect. As with every episode, you've got Ed here and I'm joined by my cinematic life mate and Matthew Lillard lookalike, Sean. <laughs> Good morning, Film Effect. And if you happen to be a fellow cinephile like us or just a casual fan of movies in general, then you're in the right place. Every week we do deep dives and touch lives, focusing on a particular film each episode in an effort to give it that full film effect treatment. But before we mask up and ask killer questions, I want to ask, let you guys know <laughs> that our ever-growing collection of previous episodes can be found on our website at podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast, as well as all major platforms. Direct link in the episode notes. And with the mention of platforms, you can help us out a great deal by using Apple Podcasts to leave us an honest rating and review when the show is over, because it helps us out in so many ways, and we just genuinely love hearing from you guys. Alright, Sean, let the people of the world know where we can be found on both Facebook and Instagram. That's going to be the Film Effect Podcast. And how about Twitterland? What's our handle for the curious? At Film Effect Pod. And if you would be so kind, please direct the listener to the show's email address. Simple enough. Send that on over to the Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. Alright, so like we were just talking about before we went live, <laughs> back from camping, a five day excursion. You were glamping. You call it glamping. You were glamping. You had a fucking projector and a fucking screen out there. You were watching fucking Halloween 4. That's right. You know. Keep it going. We watched a lot of movies. I'll bet you did. I'll bet you did. I mean, you were fucking. You you watched Candyman. You went to bed with a roof over your head. We watched Dr. Giggles. Yeah, bullshit. Y'all chicken out. You should have been out there watching like the fucking burning. You know, you should have been watching some campfire. We watched The Changeling. 
We watched Legend of Hell House. That's, I dig it. I dig it. Y'all watch horror movies, but nothing to put you in the zone, man. You should have been watching. Did we watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1? Mm, they didn't go camping in that movie. No, they didn't. Exactly. We watched so, Friday 13th Part 6. I mean, you know, they, they had roofs over their heads. It, it, it ties <laughs> back to cabins. a campground. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, I don't know. Y'all, I, I, I dig it, but well, given, it, given that setting, man, I would have I did. I love the know. nature. I love getting away. I, I love being away. The, love, true. True. It's Halloween. So, that Saturday, yesterday, in fact, we had all the kids dressed up. I dressed up in my Sam costume. <laughs> I participated in the parade with all the kids. Yeah. Uh, they went trick or treating. I was not going to be, you know, the only six foot three guy out there in a costume asking trick or treat. <laughs> but uh, no, I handed out candy. That was fun. Um, and then last night they have a little. If you walk up to the barn up there, they have a little haunted house yeah. set up, which was good. What I, 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 saw you I, had... I jumped precisely three point four times. <laughs> you had Madge with you. What she dress up like? Uh, she actually had to go home Friday. And oh, she, she didn't. Get she to do came that. back last night, and her mom dropped her back off. But she had to go home Friday because she had a big soccer game. No, oh. so she fuck, came I back last night, man, and by that point, we were already we were at the end of Halloween four, and waiting for her to go up to the haunted barn. So we did all of that, but she missed out. She was already dressed up there. I told her to, you know, what the hell? She had a Freddy dress, oh. a Freddy glove. Okay. And then she yeah, I saw I, I saw you. I saw you had the glove come in your uh, in your 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 Halloween costume. Order. So yeah, I was curious about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right on. It was fun. Um, and then we packed up and came home this morning. So here I am now, recording Scream. Um, busy fella, busy fella. One thing to add to a couple episodes back. So Halloween kills. Did you notice the Bob Odenkirk cameo? Uh, yeah, with, 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 with uh, the yearbook photo of Bob. Yes. From episode one. Yeah, I, I had read about that earlier um, before the release and didn't think to look for it because we were just so gobsmacked in the theater. And then rewatching again for the episode, it, it had slipped my mind. I knew that there was a blink and you'll miss it. Bob Odenkirk cameo, but it wasn't, you know, Bob showing up on set. They had to use his yearbook photo. So then I came across, like, I don't know, it was on, like, Geek Tyrant or, or one, you know, one of those. One of them whole, one yeah, of, them, yeah, one of, yeah, them one of those blogs. Yeah, one right. of those movies, uh, you know, pop culture blogs. Screen rant. You got it. Um, and it had the side-by-side shot of the screenshot there versus, you know, Bob's death in 1970. And I'm like, oh, hey, cool. I can see. That's kind of funny. So they, they worked Odenkirk Which is in. weird because the guy who plays Bob, he's around. He's not, like, hidden. He's in the convention circuit. Right. He does the conventions, the right. reunions. I'm not sure why they couldn't have reached out to him. I mean, I know... I hate to name drop him again, but this is the truth. He's the hard, he's the Halloween guy. Sean Clark could have fucking put him in touch with the guy if they really wanted him bad yeah. enough. So it's still cool though, Odenkirk popping up like that. <laughs> Just a neat little sidebar to that whole yeah to the whole you know this leg of the legacy, if you will. I mean, Christ, we talked about this branching choose your own adventure Haddonfield <laughs> story for months now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people Odin are still talking about in, it. Yeah. Like, it's just going to be, who knows where it can go in Halloween ends. Then I had read something about, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because it would have slipped my mind today, but uh, yesterday, I think it was, I read um, an interview with a guy who's, uh, right before they went into um, 
um, the, the whole Rob Zombie leg of the, the franchise after, you know, Dangertainment just shit right. the bed. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Malika Mustafa were just back kind of licking so their like wounds. So, like, between 2002 and 2007, right, right. that, that five-year gap. The, yeah, did you read this guy did, did like, it was, it was like a treatment that, like, kind of, it, it started moving along the pipeline, and then... According to him, like he got pulled at the last minute. They're like, now nah, we're just going to go with Zombie. He's going to reboot it. But this guy did like the Lost Years, where like, and the concept is kind of cool, even though it seems a little hokey. Like, all right, so after, um, you know, is, is like, once again, it picks up after Halloween, too. Okay. Right, like it, it tends, like everything tends to ignore everything else. So Michael's of, burnt to a crisp. Right, right, and it, so the whole concept is, and this this was this guy's concept was okay. Then you know we just spent two two movies with the night he came home. Now he's severely injured. What home is he going to go to? So they left Haddonfield out, and they sent him back. He this whole script was Michael t- like just slaughtering his way through Smith's Grove. Well, I'm sure they they have, that would have been a pretty neat little. Well, they had you know, two sidebar. books that came out. Uh, the, fir- the first one was called Taking Shape, and then it had a second one, Taking Shape 2, that came out earlier this year. Yeah. And they're just about all of the long-lost screenplays and treatments to all these sequels that mm. never got filmed that mm. were just brought to the table. So like different directions I guarantee you that's in there somewhere. Okay, it, it, it may very and well I'm be. Actually, I mean, I I've remember. been wanting to pick those books up, so one day I'm going to read more about that. So that's pretty interesting, to be honest. Yeah, it's with you. it's. I mean, it's like I said, it probably it it, it probably wouldn't have done. It, it would I, I would imagine it would have done better business than Buster Ron's bullshit. <laughs> you know, um, maybe been a bit of a divergence for you know those who were felt diverged upon with Halloween three. We're like, wait, this doesn't make sense. He's not in Haddonfield. Yeah. But he's like the whole the whole trick was, okay, he's going home. Now he's hurt. What home does he know? He spent more time in Smith's Grove than he did in Haddonfield. Mm-hmm. So then he goes back there and there was like one nurse who always treated him nice who she was the only one he lets live. You know? And I'm like, that would have been cool to see some set pieces done like that. Like, just fuck all the, you know, Loomis is out of the picture. You know, Strodes are out of the picture. You know, and it's just, he's just ripping through, you know, a sanitarium, if you will. That would have been, you know, a neat little sidebar. Um, so apparently... Dune opened up the 40.1, the biggest Warner Brothers opening of the pandemic. I haven't watched it yet, so let's not talk about the I, I'm not, film. I'm not, I'm not going to go into any spoilers. All I'm going to say is fucking week. Dune Villeneuve's a real deal. Now, here's here's what happened to me. So you were you were away camping, and I knew for a fact that Justin was going to be tied up with Amanda and the kids. And I'm sitting here Thursday night, and I didn't want to do it. I'm like, well, fuck, there's no way I can get the band together this weekend. But I'm itching to fucking rehearse. There's nothing saying I can't do it solo. So, yeah, I fired up on HBO Max and I I would love to see some of these set pieces on the big screen Villeneuve is the right the the right thumbprint on this franchise man I watched it twice already um, um yeah and you know pretty much not like Mandy did know not, you know really nothing about the lore like you said you've been wanting to go in blind pretty much with I have never read the whole story scene. of I don't know shit know, about dude the emperor and I don't know a goddamn thing about I know nothing that means nothing and, to me yeah it's okay cool that's, I that's know cool nothing. that's cool yeah you don't need your he doesn't hold your hand through it but it's it you know it and it's 
he does a very good job of uh, of expositing without you know expositing if you will um yeah i can't wait to lay eyes on it again i'm gonna get get advantage of my 30 days here but i really think me and justin should go check this sucker out on the big screen we'll see dude there's some shots man that's fucking incredible <laughs> all right shout outs shout out to his family all right, so quick shout-outs this week. Saturday Night Freak Show, Halloweenies, Horror Queers, Film Floggers, Verbal Diorama, and Paul and Griff. Support each show by giving them a follow and a listen. Want to make it short and sweet this week. Uh, we do have one new region. We have new listeners from Finland. All right. So as always, welcome to the party, pal. Yeah. And let's jump right into the current events. And talk about this Alec Baldwin situation. Mm, 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 mm. So I think I first read it Wednesday or Thursday. Someone got shot on this film called Rust Set, Western film. Kind of remind me of seeing the set pictures of the old um, Spalding Ranch from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And... It involved Alec Baldwin, DP, and director, but it didn't say that Baldwin was the shooter. And then a day later, I wake up and the news breaks that Alec Baldwin was, in fact, the shooter. And people are being really fucking harsh on this man on Twitter. I know Alec Baldwin is... Love him or hate him, and I know he's very well hated by lots of people. I get that, but... This is a real situation where someone lost their life, and someone's currently fighting for their life, and... It's not like he intentionally went, like, give me a hot gun, you know. It, it, they're even talking about the, the these people that are in charge of these props and such, like, being, having heat with them within the union. Everybody's, what's going on is everybody's pointing their finger back at somebody else. Somebody gets That's their exactly finger pointed and they're like, That's no, 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 exactly, why not? It was him. It's hot potato. They're like, they're, they're like um, no, 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 our union guy, our, our union weapon, you know, our, our union armors walked off set two days prior from his, you know. The latest thing I read was they were using the gun earlier for actual live yeah, rounds yeah, and, for and, target and, practice. And then they're, they're like, now there's people going like, oh, the AD was like, oh, we really got to have another safety thing. You know, like he was just, he didn't want to do it like, you know, he didn't want to have the safety meeting every time there was going to be, you know, a shot involving a firearm. And then today I read somebody else's like, oh, biggest mistake you make is aside from leaving a live round and a prop gun is aiming that gun at something you don't intend what comes out of the barrel to destroy, whether you anticipate it or not. So like everybody's just got their fingers out and all Baldwin did was just like tweet like, fuck, I feel so awful. But it's coming back on him because he's also credited as an executive producer. So it's supposed to run all the way up the chain with whom the buck stops. <laughs> so mean, aside on. from being I, the trigger I, I man, that. he's also the guy. That, right, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's just, I'm saying that's why it zeroes right back on, on, on Baldwin. You know, um, I mean, I, I, I completely feel for the guy. I can only imagine what he's yeah. going through. I saw what it did. As soon as I read what happened, I immediately thought of the crow set, March thirty first, nineteen ninety three. I tell you I, that that, but I tell you what else that I that that crossed my mind. That's more of a recent incident. That and I, I don't, I don't want to glorify these you know onset tragedies by any means, but that whole fucking um, that that Midnight Rider movie, William Hurt was supposed to be playing uh, Greg Allman. 
And remember, they were filming the they were filming the shot on on an elevated railroad, and a train came by, and literally, like it, it, they were in the middle of like they were doing guerrilla filmmaking. They were filming illegally on a set. It was supposed to be like a fantasy sequence. I and I've seen you've this. never heard anything about no. this. Yeah, like the director was brought. In. He may have even done some jail time. It was a couple of years back. But um, I've seen set footage of, you know, Hurt with like this long brown, you know, blonde wig and a big right, bushy right. beard. And it was supposed to be the sequence of, you know, Almond laying in like a hospital bed, but it's like a dream sequence. And he's laying on like an elevated train track and they were filming it and they were filming without permit. And suddenly a train comes along and everybody's got to scramble and they try to get shit out of the way. And there's a fucking gurney laying in the tracks. A gurney gets plowed by a train. And I don't know, and a, you know, associate film, uh, you know, and an AP or a gopher or some young lady, like she got killed on the set, you know, hmm. because, you know, pieces of this, of this shit was flying everywhere, you know, so that happened recently. And like William Hurt hasn't had much work since then, even though he wasn't directly involved. Yeah, William Hurt didn't really get much work to begin with in the last like 20 years or so. I don't think William Hurt's been like a hot. You know, besides that Marvel game. A history of violence. I argued on history of violence. I mean, the That's guy got one fucking, movie, though. Yeah, but still, he got a fucking Academy Award like Ned Beatty for being on screen for less than 15 minutes. So there's that. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not right. saying the guys you lit the world on fire in but, the last few decades. But I, what I'm saying is there's a very similar incident that, yeah. that doesn't get near as much publicity, but it's also not quite as... But the comparisons tragic, are just so close to between this and the crow thing. Unsafe, That's why I was unsafe of that. set. Right. Yeah, of course. But and it's all unsafe set, you know. I conditions. was thinking of what that did to Michael Massey, the actor who actually fired the gun that mm-hmm. killed Brandon Lee. And it fucked him up. Granted, yeah, he still worked, but like he never held a gun again. Mm-hmm. All of his roles were like different, you know. Yeah, he still played the villainous roles because that was just he had the look and, and, and feel of, of a villain. And He'd rather have a knife or a bullwhip. But he just <laughs> you a know, spoon. I'll be deadly with a spoon. Yeah. You know, but that really fucked him up. Yeah. Legitimately. And I can only imagine, you know, I mean, that's, that's, do the ball I had the, I had the conversation with Mandy um, yesterday because I, I didn't know if she had heard. And I'm like, babe, did you hear about this shit? And she's like, yeah, I did hear about it this morning. I said, can you imagine the, 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 like, even if it pans out that it was you know, similar to what happened on the crow where like a blank got lodged in and said the amount of guilt that the guy must carry, even, you know, it was, it was unintentional, but he could still be held accountable for certain charges. And they're, uh, you know, they're saying that they may still push forward on some charges against him. Who the fuck knows, man? It's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's, it is Only crazy. time will tell. And it's just, I don't know. I just, I feel for him. Like I said, it sucks. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate. I, f- I feel for him. I feel for Every, everybody the, involved. The, the, everybody the involved. It's family, just, it's the just director, of course, everyone involved. Nobody. The, the the sad part is nobody wants to step up and step up to the mic and be like, you know what? I didn't do that part of my job that day, so I'm gonna throw myself on this grenade. No, everybody's afraid of catching you know jail time, I guess. But somebody's got to be held accountable. There was unsafe set conditions, right? You shouldn't have moved forward without union workers. You should have had your, you know, emergency firearm meetings. There should never be a fucking live round on a movie set to begin with. Creepy recommends. <laughs> what would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? Although mine's not a horror film this week, I'm recommending something different. I'm actually calling a last-minute audible because <laughs> I had something written down that I was going to recommend, but then last night slash this morning, I watched something that kind of blew my fucking mind a little bit. 
Was it John Cena's playing with fire? No, it had nothing to do <laughs> with that honky tonk horse shit. <laughs> Wasn't even a movie per se. Uh oh. So there's an HBO miniseries called "What Happened, Brittany Murphy." Mm. I, I watched it. I, 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 I watched both episodes, both parts. Sorry, and wow! I, 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 wow. It's been on the queue. It's been on the queue, but I can't watch it without the old lady. And you we guys got to get on. I, I know, I know. Like cause I remember when it all went down. They're like, "Oh, it was mold in the house." Same and then here. Like, well, oh, I'm, dude, it's, 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 it's so, I've, I've heard it uncover some strange shit about. I the, mean, they about literally. That Talk to everybody yeah. for this. Yeah. You know, and I learned so much out. I didn't even realize how close she was with uh, Kathy Najima from uh, Hocus mm. Pocus and mm. Sister Act. Because she's in, like, I'd say she's in the bulk of, you know, the, the miniseries. Like, she's interviewed the most. I'm, yeah, I'm saying. I, I saw, she's got I, the most I saw to say. She's on a trailer. I had to watch the first couple minutes. I'm like, no, no, no. I got I to gotta wait for the old lady. But then it's also like it runs what about four hours between both episodes? I would yeah, imagine. two hours. It's an hour each episode. Oh, is that it? It's I only it two like hours. Nah, it's only a couple hours. All right, yeah. So th- th- we could have did it, but I just say I, I figured it was gonna be like a, a four-hour block, nah, which is like not at all. On one not thing. at so all. It's only a couple of hours because yeah. one episode yeah. focuses on her primarily, and then the other one is more of Simon. Okay. Bex. Okay. And still to this day, I think it's freakish how they both died pretty much similarly, mm. like months apart. And it's not like, you know, yeah, drugs were found in their system and all, but that was that didn't play a part in their death. You know, they both had pneumonia. They they essentially both died of pneumonia. It's weird as shit. And um, yeah, this 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 really opens up the door, makes a lot makes sense of a lot of things yeah. after watching it. Um, and I I, I just I, I implore people uh to, to to check it out. You know, um. It's really good, really insightful. I mean, it's an HBO miniseries, so you know you're going to get your bang for your buck. Mm. So that's my recommendation for the week. Right on. Um, you? Uh, yeah, mine's going to be House of Wax featuring Paris Hilton. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> you can fuck right off. I'm not even going to fucking bite the, take the bait on that one. I'm not. <laughs> no, um, I'm going with... Uh, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor, man. Did you ever lay eyes on that yet? No. Oh, dude, it's so... I've, it's, I've heard it's fucked. It's, it's fucked. I've heard it's fucked. It's fucked. It's gnarly, dude. It's such a... It, it, it's, again, it's original, so like it's it's kind of a breath of oh, fresh I'm air. I'm sure it's original. But it's, yeah, it's, uh, the apple don't fall too far from the tree from them you know, Canadian Cronenbergs, if you know what I'm saying. You know, you got Andrea Riseborough, you got, um, um, uh, what was her name? Jennifer Jason Lee, right? Jennifer Jason Lee's in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She, yeah. she works with, she works, she's like friends with, she goes to the Cronenberg family holiday parties. They've all worked together so much. Yeah. That film is like, I, I, I've seen it twice now. And the only reason I haven't seen it a third time is because I want like a couple thousand micro doses of LSD before I watch this movie again. It is fucking gnarly, man. Yeah. It puts you in a weird, uncomfortable spot. Like, Another one of the movies you got to shower after, but it's still a neat experience. It's different, man. Check out, check out Possessor. All right, all right. So before we get into things, I just want to let you guys know to stick around after the plot breakdown from Sean and I because uh, we have a special guest lined up for this episode. Oh yeah, uh, Mr. Howard Berger will be joining us, who did the makeup effects, works for the legendary KMB FX uh, studio, still runs it with uh, Greg. And uh, 
like I said, him and Greg and uh, their former partner, um, Robert, Robert Kurtzman, played a part in the effects uh, as well as the creation. Well, even though the mask was already created, they did their own version of it that's shown in close-up shots throughout the movie. Uh, that's why, especially in the opening scene with uh, Drew Barrymore, the mask does alter throughout. And uh, that that's why, because they, they, they shot it with uh, the Fun World mask and then for some reason the Weinsteins and, and, and Howard will talk about it in the conversation that it's we actually with we, yeah, it's a very very cool interview we it, sat down with him for a good half an hour man he answered it's, it's, it's a solid 50 45 50 minutes yeah, it's, it's longer than a half hour yeah, to my surprise great dude man he just sat down and just, he, did, he was pleased to shoot the shit with you and I you know I was, it was one of the most yeah. memorable moments in, in, in my life was sitting down and you know yeah, it's, Bullshit a, with it's, Howard Berger it's, for him. it's a really great conversation, conversation yeah. slash interview. And, uh, so check it out. We'll run that after this. Uh, so let's get into it. In the meantime, hey, it's called Tact, you fuck rag. <laughs> this is Wes Craven Scream. Hello. Hello. Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Well, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with the scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big breasted girl who can't act, who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Hey, what are you? Just me. Never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. You get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Who didn't make the rules? The police are always off track. If they watch Palm Night, they save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Everybody's a suspect! You're not scared, are you? Scream. Alright, so in Scream, a year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. Alright, it's first time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So, technically, that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it so if i'm not up to uh, i didn't see this when it was in theaters uh, i think i've talked about this before on the show mm-hmm. um this was the only film of the series that i have not seen in the theaters uh i actually saw it that summer 97 the following summer when like it was it, we'll get into it so my first time seeing this was a uh, uh mid-afternoon on a summer day with my buddy nick we actually uh managed to find a copy from blockbuster not long after it came out 
and uh, watched it in my room. And uh, ironically enough, this was the same character, Nick. Shout out Nick Nemphos, you bastard. He's the one who revealed the killers to me after when he, he saw it in theaters and told me after he saw it who the killers were. <laughs> And the plot, and the plus, the twist that there were, in fact, two killers. Um, so yeah, thanks, Nick. And, um, that was my first time. How about you? Um, so I, I, I touch upon this a little bit with our interview with Howard, just because I had to share the story. And I think you've heard me say it before. I'm going to go in a little bit of detail. So like we talked about, um, this film, uh, it was it was it was a it was a different release for a film of this genre because it came out you know right around Christmas. Yeah, you know, so it came Merry out in the Christmas. winter. Yeah, it was, and it was like Halloween had just passed, and we we're you know months away from the next one. But they dropped this new slasher with all your you know your hot WB teenagers on it, you know, and Craven being involved here or there was not a deciding factor for me because. You know, I kind of felt like he was on his downturn after, you know, Mission Well, Marvel. he was. He was. And, and so, like, that wasn't a selling point. So, I just, you know, I wasn't seeking it out. But, and I think I, I counted at least 23 people in the, so I was about a month and a, about a month and a half into its theatrical run before I finally went and saw it. And that was because an average of two to three people a week would come up and be like, dude, you look like this guy from the movie Scream. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I haven't seen this turd. Finally, one day, me and Big Daddy went and saw it. I'll never forget, we saw it at East Point Movie Theaters. So you didn't see this at Golden Ring? I didn't see it at Golden Ring. I saw it in the theater. We went, me and Big Daddy went and saw it at East Point. Okay. And I was telling them on the way in, I'm like, Pop, I don't know. It's like it's something to do on a Saturday afternoon. But people keep saying I look like some dude. It reminded me of some dude in here. Whatever. You know, and I come out thinking I'm reminding him of Randy because the guy's like a big movie geek. And me, <laughs> I never forget me and Big Daddy were walking across park a lot to get in the car. And he's like, son. You remind him of one of those killers. You don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I didn't see it, but but we the big daddy to point it out. It's right, but it, and and I've been I had been hearing that shit for years. Like you look like you used to say it to me. You and your brother, you say I look like what was his name? I uh, said it because it pissed you off. I didn't I, actually think it, you looked like Matthew Lillard. You was, yeah, but what was his name in SLC Punk? You Stevo. Yeah, you used to call me Stevo. Just a rib. I mean, on you me. do have that bulge in your forehead like he does when he gets angry. <laughs> That vein. So yeah, that was what that and that was the only reason why I was like, I gotta go see this movie that people say I I look like a dude from. And I was, it, 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 I was surprised with it, you know. Like I was like, okay, this I I remember coming out like, yeah, that was kind of the shot in the arm. This industry I hadn't had in quite a while. Like it had um, been a while. It's like it, people are gonna start talking about horror movies again. You know, so that was my first time viewing. Now, the funny enough, you mentioned how yours was a blockbuster video copy. I remember like coming out of the NBA over there in Essex and I had to use a payphone to call a cab. Sitting on top of the payphone was a fucking somebody's unreturned copy of Scream from Blockbuster. <laughs> I just got in the cab, but that yeah. motherfucker had a copy of Scream on VHS to myself for there a couple of years. There you go. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny because like this, it's funny you mentioned that this film had not really had. I mean, the, the genre hadn't had a hit like this in so long because this was the mid '90s at this point. Horror wasn't really anywhere in the early '90s. It was just a lot of directed video stuff um, in the late '80s. All the big, you know, characters were fizzling out. 
uh, Michael, Jason, Freddy, like all their films, all their sequels at that point were just losing money. Not losing money, but on the verge. They weren't making the money they were used to be. And that was and that was the other problem too, is they were just trying to recycle the same old bullshit. And then they like, tried it again. Let's, let's give it a gimmick and give it a character and push through it until we've eat that character for every nickel that he's worth. But every time they tried, because they had Jason come out of Jason Goes to Hell, it lost money for a uh, new line. And then New Nightmare... In '94, right before this, lost money. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, check me if I'm wrong. Saying that Jason goes to hell, there's no Jason. He's like bouncing around between people. But that's it not was, a hill on air. The film, it was, no it one was saw the police it. chief from 21 Jump Street for like 15 minutes. Regardless of what that film was about, no one checked it out. No one went to see it because they were just done with it. Even right. though it was marketed as the final Friday. They didn't care. To them, I the final Friday was, was part seven. The final Friday, and, you know. Look, that's another conversation for another time. I'm just saying. Like I've heard this bullshit so, before. In so the early nineties, you know, yeah, people argue. What about Silence of the Lambs? Look, number one, there's going to be that argument of whether or not that's even a horror movie. Number two, it's terrifying, but it doesn't check all the boxes. Right. And number two, like, yeah, I knew it, it, it run amok and got all the, all the awards, but like, again, it all bounces back to whether or not you want to classify that as a horror movie or true horror movie. Or that not. one wasn't is when it became franchised. Yeah. And, it, and, and Hopkins started just adding more zeros to the back end of his paycheck. It was like that it became, that Hannibal Lecter became that sort of icon. But other than that, horror was going nowhere. And then, boom, this comes out. And holy shit, slashers are fun again. Mm-hmm. And every studio was putting out every fucking movie they could. Starting with, I know you did last summer, but in that film's defense, Kevin Williamson had that one written before this film. And so that got... That went on, you know, the, the market next after this. Yeah, but they they also did it was with that that fucking Valentine movie. And I was I was gonna go on some more. Yeah, Valentine. Yeah, Urban Legend. Urban Legend. That was the one I was thinking of. It had uh, the, the cute little redhead, Alicia Witt. One she Alicia Witt. Yeah. yeah. Killer with the parka. Uh, Brad Dorf makes a cameo. Robert England's in it. There's a lot of people in that movie actually. Yeah, yeah. You, you write um, a check big enough, they're gonna show up. Uh, there was the one that I was talking about. I've mentioned before, uh, Cherry Falls. It was one of my previous recommendations. Mm. There was another one that I remember coming out uh, straight to video that had, um, uh, what's her face, uh, from all the scary movies, all the scary movies, the, who has that show called Mom. Um, you talking about Chris Pratt's ex-wife? Chris Pratt's ex-wife, whatever her name is. Anna Ferris. Anna Ferris, thank you. Mm. She was in a slasher. One of the, I think it was her first movie. It was called Lover's Lane. Killer with a hook for a hand. Kind of like I know you did that. Oh, summer. yeah. Um, but there was a bunch of them that, that were just between 96 and 2001-ish. That's when like they were everywhere. And then just like everything else, it died out. And then like the, the Japan and May remakes were... We're the big thing with the ring and then the, the, the grudge and whatnot. So rather than going into, you know, the history of horror, but this, this really yeah, gave, gets cyclical. this really gave does. horror in the mid nineties for its time, like that jump shot, that CPR boost that it needed. And so to get more than just genre nerds like you and I talking about it, it had, it, it had people interested in it again. Right. And this kind of is a perfect, you know, um, Gateway. Gateway to story time. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. 
This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. So Scream comes out, and holy shit, like everything that this film brought with it, um, on top of all the films that I just mentioned prior to this category, um, it, I, it, dude, I had never seen, I've, I had never seen a film like it before. This came out on, I missed the, the, the box office phase, because at that point, I admit, wasn't really quite seeing movies like genre films and theaters yet. I was always waiting until come out the video. Um, and when this came out, it was huge. It was everywhere. Like, you could not rent this movie for weeks. Yeah. I mean, this was like one of the first films I ever saw a blockbuster take up a whole entire bay wall of mm-hmm. just this movie. And mm-hmm. like, for the first two to three weeks... Especially on weekends, you go there and like, if, unless you're there first thing in the morning on Wednesday, you ain't. You walk home with a rain check. I remember you guys give them rain checks, you right? Rain checks, like a, exactly. Guaranteeing stock or it's free. Right. And then I remember renting this a lot from this mom pop video store right on the corner from me. Um, One of them little shops, man. By um, especially I, I forgot like the name mean. of it. It was two doors down from where um. Looney's is now by my place. Yeah, I mean. And I forgot, I, for the life of me, I cannot remember what it was called because I used to rent this a lot and I used to rent Halloween the Crystal Michael Myers a lot because he used to always be in <laughs> stock. So, um, but yeah, like, you know, 97, this was, no wonder the sequel was greenlit so quickly and, and it came out like exactly one year later. Um, I, I, I personally don't blame him. Uh, because this was a massive, 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 massive hit. And you and I are there for it. So, yeah. 25 years ago, what a time to be alive. Um, yeah, shit, I was only 22 back then. That was incredible. All right, so let's jump to live top five. Really? Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. All right, so this week I asked for top five favorite Wes Craven films. So my number five is... Deadly Friend, a film we just talked about recently on here briefly. Yeah, uh, I've recommended it a couple episodes back. Let's check it's, it out. Yeah, it's I because uh, you and Justin like literally were on a vibe at that point, like some weird Deadly Friend wavelength. Yeah, that's and, right. And you recommended it. I, I stole his. That's right. Right, but yeah, but you were you were both on it, and I'm like, guys, I've been watched it since I rented it on VHS for Christ's sake. That's how far removed I am from it. So yeah. I can't speak to it one way or the other. I remember the I remember the basketball gif, and that's it. Yep. So that's why it didn't even make my list. I can't I, I can't uh, give it. Right. it I wasn't I expected on your list. Yeah, I, can, I can't give it its day in court. But based on the conversation the three of us had, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to watch it again. So my number five. Um, is Shocker with Peter Berg and Mitch Pileggi. 
That's my number four. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. So I just, I just dug the concept of I love of him, I, of him just like zapping around and Peter like framing Peter Berg for the murder and Berg's so just quick, like slowly losing his mind. Yeah. So real quick, Shocker was one of the films that was always on <laughs> uh, Showtime or HBO, yeah. one of them two channels That's, growing up. I, I remember just going bug nuts and when I saw it on the shelf. I caught it on the, TV one store. night. And it was at the tail end of the Edited film. Edited commercial or, or unedited? No, Michael, no, it was, on, like, it was on Showtime. So Okay, so you call it a theater. Um, okay. And it was around the scene where Berg is chasing Pelleggi through all the TV channels. Right. And it was the funniest <laughs> fucking thing, especially the channel with the atomic bomb. Right. And they get blasted away. Right. I, I had to fucking like record it on my old school v- VCR and like run it back and just rewatch that scene, the, the atomic bomb dropping. Yeah. And I would just laugh hysterically for like Yeah, non-stop. I mean, it's, it's, it's fucking corny as shit. Shocker's just fun. It's a bonkers out there concept because he was trying to do, he's like, all right, I created Freddy Krueger. Now let me create, what was, what was, Pelleggi's character's name. What was the? Oh, I can't remember. I haven't and, seen it. In a few but years. like he was, he was trying to make another icon, and it just was, didn't work. It, it didn't work. But it's still a fun little experiment. And then the guy who played um the deputy from Friday Thirteenth Part Six, uh, Vincent something. He's you know the guy who's like you know wherever the red dot goes, you bang. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. in it as a construction worker. Yeah, he you're gets right. possessed, and you, every time he's possessed, you know it's him because he's got that limp in his leg. Uh huh. Remember the little girl gets possessed, <laughs> and she's like chased after. Peter Berg in the park with the limp in the leg. Right. And she gets the cement roll or something in, in, in that scene. It's right. funny as shit. Yeah, dude, it's smooth. That movie uh, is just, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Switching number four. Uh, mine is, uh, we just talked about it, or you and I talked about it in, in the car. I don't think I talked about it on the air, but we just, I just rewatched People Under the Stairs. That's my number three. <laughs> and I just, re- I just rewatched it yesterday. That's, I re- Mandy and I rewatched it on your Paramount Plus the other night. That's a good movie, man. It, it is. really it is. is. Underrated Craven flick. I it swear. There it is. Maybe. It is. Um, what's your number three then? Shit. Um, I went both one and two for the hills have eyes. Like I liked, I I prefer looking at because okay, the, the, like he with the original, I get it. Like he created that fucking weird genre of mutant desert cannibal people. But if you look at it, if if you look at that on its own. Like they were just so under budget that the mutants just wore shit from a thrift store. Yeah. It wasn't fucked up like when Aja got his hands on it. It didn't get that way till he brought Mark Hamill in and fucking went and did the second one. Mark Hamill. It's uh, never mind. I was thinking of something different. Michael Berryman. <laughs> That's what I'm. Um, but <laughs> when when like one and two together, like I feel tell a better story just because it sets it up, and then two just makes it goes bonkers with the with what was set up. Um, so yeah, my number three was his his one two punch with Hills Have Eyes, just because I like old school Wes. All right. Uh, so my number two is the topic of this episode: Scream. Okay. Um, we'll get into it. So yeah, mine's gonna be Last House on the Left. Yeah, I, I, I just, I couldn't. Cause yeah, I just I couldn't put it on the list at all. It's not really a good movie in my mm. take. And I, because I've seen it. No, it's it not. Is. It's not. But what I think what I like about it is like as shitty as it looks How in this low, but, Right, exactly. It's just like, it's just gritty, gung ho. Like these are kids with no more than a nickel in their pocket, but they want to just 
you know, even if it's something you just show your friends at a barbecue, like, yeah, we tried they making a movie. just score some weed. Look what happened to him. Well, what I'm saying is the film itself. I know, like, I know, it's, I know. That, It was just like everybody was just like hungry for it. Nobody was making a fucking dime, and they were spending more than they had just to make it happen. And through yes. nothing else, like it was a wing and a prayer for everybody involved, Wes included. Like you know, Wes and my best friend, Sean Cunningham. Yeah, your buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're like, hey, nothing else. We got something to show our buddies at a barbecue. Say, hey, this is the one time we try to make a movie. Look what we came up with. So I appreciate that spirit behind it. And like it was, it, you know, it was bringing shit to the table that like people were afraid to exhibit. Yes, it didn't get released like at megaplexes and shit, but even to be exhibited theatrically, that's some fucking raw, sketchy shit to show some people. And you could see where they were coming off of adult flicks, you know, with that. Yeah. Sean Cunningham was just, just you know, fresh out of softcore. And you could see that, that whole, you just kind of feel that coming through. Like they were trying to, you know, they still hadn't separated themselves from that type of filmmaking yet. And it's just, I don't know, it's what gives that movie its gritty edge. So that's why I made my list. Not so much any acting or performances. Although, you know, that bit in the beginning of Act 3 with crew just, they're fucking everybody up by the river. It's kind of fucked up. It is. It is. Um, Before I get to my number one, I'm sitting here kicking around and... Maybe this is a spoiler for the episode, for, for the conversation we're about to have about the film. But um, I admittedly actually wrote this list down uh, prior to watching rewatching Scream, a film that I had not seen since probably Scream 4 came out. It's been that long since I watched this film prior to this rewatch. Um, maybe I jumped the gun on putting it at number two. Um if I had to redo it, I'd probably knock it down to five and bump up Deadly Friend to four, Shocker to three, People Under the Stairs to two, and my number one is Elm Street, the original. Yeah. What's yours? Uh, Serpent the Rainbow. Oh, no Elm Street at all. Okay. No, no, no. It's, wow. I mean, it's, I, I, I get it. It's, here's the thing. He's, he, it was it, it was cool. Like I was there from the beginning. Like that was as far as my generation, one that was there for me to grow up with. Freddy Krueger would have been it, you know, because it, it was what eighty four. And so, it's just a unique concept, that right? Right. Horrifying. So it was right when I would have been able to at least there wouldn't got a gotten an eye bat by coming into the theater with my dad to see Nightmare on Elm Street. Where let me, I couldn't try that shit at age four with Halloween. Couldn't mm-hmm. have tried that shit at age, you know, six with Friday the 13th. But around 10, you start getting a little bit. So Kruger would have been mine. And yeah, but it's just, let's, I don't know. I wanted to, I wanted to keep it off the list because it's going to be on everybody's fucking list. And I get it. He's there. But like Wes created an icon and that icon is nothing but a money making machine for fucking Bob Shea and New Line Cinemas in general. It's the house that Freddie built for Christ's sakes. But I just, I, I don't know. I dig Serpent the Rainbow, man. Like, I like those weird, I, I, I like that fucking set reality type Haitian voodoo type shit. And the fact that it was based on a book written by the character that, that Bill Pullman plays. And the guy was an actual anthropologist and kind of experienced some very similar shit down in Haiti in the late seventies and stuff. Yeah, man. I, I don't think Serpent the Rainbow gets enough love. 
It's more tense than it is horrific, but there's definitely some spooky fucking shots and scenes in there, man. And I've been wanting to watch that film for quite a while. And yeah, I had to put it at the top of my list because I just don't think it gets the love that it deserves, man. No. Yeah, everybody's gonna have Freddy Krueger on their list, and I get it. Like it's like it's I can't deny that icon, but you know, there's also some other work that I think the guy's done that deserves an eye looked at. And Serpent and Rainbow is fucking cool, man. Zeke Smokai, you know that the the, the character the the I had typical. Not, admittedly, had not seen Serpent and the Rainbow in like. Twenty years, really? Yeah, yeah, man. So don't let them bury me. I'm not dead. Bill Pullman. Yeah, I remember yeah. from when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Pullman definitely, and the whole burial scene. Yeah, it's basically about this weird fucking drug these Haitians use that that zombify you. And I've been reading about this. This shit's going on right now in South Africa. It's like this new cheap street drug that turns you into a zombie for like a five day weekend. <laughs> and kids are up on it because it costs a dollar. Yeah, it's called bath salts. Mm, more than that, man. It's like <laughs> that crocodile shit, but even worse. Uh, yeah, so that was my number one, dude. Serpent and Rainbow. But we need more voodoo movies. Like, more real-life scary voodoo movies. Like, the closest we got to that was some of that shit from uh, uh, Adrian Lyons' Angel Heart with uh, Mickey Rourke. Anything can happen, Doug? Yeah, that's where it comes from. Well, it comes from the Mickey Mouse Club, and that's why I started using it. It was from Angel Heart. Mandy does not like that film, man. But I just, I don't know. It strikes such a weird balance. And you got De Niro in there as Lewis Cipher. But it ends with him taking the elevator. Where's the elevator going? Down. You know what I mean? All right. Ready to jump into it? Mm-hmm. So we immediately kick off the title card and then we jump into Casey Becker, Drew Barrymore, who we think is the star because she's front and center across all the paper, all the posters, the cover box, everything like this was the start. This was that first movie that kicked off like the wave of big budget horror films with like, <clears throat> the cast on the front cover. Like, oh, yeah. The, the, the portraits. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, which, which is just like, yeah, like, like the stand, the, 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 the headshot. You just had all your cast, you, you just had like, the, you had like five, four, They're five They're all doing the sto- just stoic pose. They're all wearing black. Glance. Yeah, side glancing at the camera, and they're angled in certain ways. And for this one, you had Drew Barrymore front and center. Right. You know, she's like the biggest actor, literally on the on the poster. Somebody, somebody working for either fucking, uh, either either New Line or Dimension, or somebody needs to get, needs to get residuals on that template. Somebody in the marketing department created that template and they're not getting credit for it. It's like they got to create the smiley face, got a $500 bonus that day, and that's it. You know what I mean? So she picks up, she gets a phone call, picks it up, wrong number, hangs it up, phone rings again. We know what happens. Caller calls again. 
it's that voice, it's that Peter Jackson, it's Roger Jackson voice, uh, calls back to apologize and wants to talk, she's like, they got 900 numbers for that and hangs up, and then we cut to a shot of, uh, the entire house where she lives in, beautiful house, exterior mm-hmm. shot of the house at night, and then we see Casey fire up the, uh, the stove, making popcorn the old school way. Yeah, this is this is good old days, man. Landlines yeah. and Jiffy Pop. Yes. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, though. She walks straight the fuck away from that Jiffy Pop. She just, like, puts it on a oh, taste oh, of I know, oh, oh, You don't do that, that shit. More on that. Did you ever pop Jiffy Pop? Oh, yeah, definitely. Fuck, you don't do that. You don't do that. You sit there. You, you jiggle that shake it. Yeah, you, you jiggle that handle the whole goddamn time. You don't walk away from your tinfoil balloon. Not her. The phone rings again. <laughs> Some small talk turns into the topic of scary movies. Movies, and then he asks what her favorite movie is. She comes up with Halloween. Uh, and then he makes her guess what his is, and she says Nightmare on Elm Street. Meanwhile, those are both of the two video cassettes she has in her hand. Yes, did you catch that? I did. Yeah. The, uh, the first one was good, but the rest sucked. And then, um, yeah, we're going to stick it to him, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> The conversation turns to if she has a boyfriend or not, and uh, he, he's asking for her name because he wants to know who he's looking at. And she's like, "Would you say?" He wants to know who he's talking to, and then she gets spooked, and he's like, "Don't hang up on me." She hangs up, um, and then the popcorn's still burning. We get the shot of the popcorn still on there, not being intended to. It's right. still burning. It's no, it's it's popping. There's just a little it's bit popping. of popping. Yeah. This shit wouldn't have happened if you weren't shaking your Jiffy Pop. Nah. You didn't let that Jiffy Pop sit on the stove for more than 22 seconds. 22 that, seconds. That son of a bitch would have been just like, just your whole house would have reeked a burnt dog. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, we know the deal of this scene. So she gets, you know, he keeps calling her back. You know, if you hang up on me again, I'm going to cut you like a fish. Mm. Um, and then it's revealed that her boyfriend's outside. And it's pretty much, uh, he wants to play a game of movie trivia horror movies specific specifically um warm-up question which is for steve's life 
um, no, the warm-up question is, who was the, the warm-up question is, um, what was the name of the killer in your favorite horror movie? You said your favorite yes, horror movie is Yes, Michael Halloween. Myers. Right, meanwhile, she's like huddled up in the corner by the big, big old fucking television. Yeah, and then for so. Steve's life, he asked the uh, name of the killer on Friday the 13th, and she jumps up right away, Jason, Jason, I saw that movie 50 fucking times, and he's like, you know, you know the killer is Pamela Voorhees, Jason didn't come out to the kill- to the sequel. No, he doesn't say Pamela, he says killer's, killer's, killer's mom, mom. sorry, well, yeah, Mrs. Voorhees. Jason's not the killer till the sequel. And he's like, I'm sorry, that's the wrong answer, afraid not. So, lucky for her, there's a bonus round, but poor Steve, he's out. And then we see, we hear the sound of him getting gutted. Now, whether you watch the theatrical or unrated cut, if it was the unrated cut, you actually see a shot of him with the gut sliding out of his stomach. Bitch on Prime today, and I must have rented the R-rated version. That's how you can rent. Ah, eh, fuck that noise, dude. Now I'm mad. Why charge me money? See, I remember when this movie day. came out on VHS for sale to the public. Because back in the day, we've talked about this before. When mm. the film first came out, mm. unless it was a huge Hollywood hit, you had to rent it, and that was it. If you wanted to buy it, it was going to cost you like a hundred bucks. Yeah, easily 120, 150 bucks for something. So this movie eventually, like you know. A year later or so, I think it was around the time Scream 2 finally came out in theaters. They put this, the, the VHS on sale to the general public and they released it with three different cover boxes one that had Casey, one that had um, um, Gale, and one that had Sydney. And they were blue and they were the unrated cuts. That was the first time the film was available unrated. It was on that, the, 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 the retail. Uh, VHS. Nice. Um, a little trivia out there for you folks. Uh, so, yeah, Steve dies, and then she gets scared, runs outside, and then she keeps on looking inside and sees the killer run around. This is the first time we see Ghostface in the movie with, like, shots of him running around with the fire going on because at this point, the Jiffy's on fire. The stove has caused all the oh, smoke. Hey, hold on, dude, the popcorn's wait, caused smoke all around the house. Wait, the, the, the chair already came through the window, right? He throws the chair through the window. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I mean, I know you. I don't know if you're going to get this or not. Hopefully, at least some of our listeners do. Man, when Ghostface throws that chair through the window, I almost thought William Hurt was standing on the other side like that scene in Body Heat. <laughs> I don't even get that. Dude, you got to I'm sure body. a couple people will. Yeah, he throws that chair like William Hurt, like trying to get a Kathleen Turner in body heat. So, <laughs> it's hard for me to talk about this stuff. Like, I have a personal 
you know, history of being scared or... Because, like I said, I knew what was happening. I had a fucking blabbermouth buddy. He, right. he And he liked to just reveal and spoil things. And me, you know, listening to the bullshit. I knew what was going on. I knew that Casey died in this scene. So... Seeing Ghostface run around never scared me personally. No. Didn't help that I watched this for the first time on a, you know, summer afternoon in my bedroom with, you know, during the daytime. Sunlight coming Sunlight in. Sunlight and all. Yeah, the mood's I not quite I didn't have right. a personal scary experience of Scream yeah. the first one. No. Unfortunately, I wish, you know, I've, I've heard countless people tell me about how scary this movie was now, to them. fuck that shit. And, you know, to some I get it. It depends on your age group. Yeah. Sean... You gotta let people know, remind them that you were ten years my senior. So yeah, yeah. Things aren't gonna affect that you is, the same yeah, way. Is, yeah, they really don't. I like, was twelve. I've, you were twenty-two. Yeah. You know, it's gonna be different. Different strokes, different folks. True, true. I mean, I don't get me wrong. It's just, I mean, it, it checks all the boxes, and I'm like, okay. It's you cannot, regardless of how, movie, regardless but, of what you and I feel, how we're, personal feelings about this film aside, you cannot argue. Oh, the, what the, the impact this movie had. Oh, no, no, no. You know, and look, we've said it doesn't times we're here. in this episode. That the the jumpstart it gave the horror genre in general. Yeah. Um, for better or worse. Seasoned veterans, though, you can see them coming a mile away, but it's still a fun ride. You're like, oh, look, we're about to go through the loop-de-loop. Even though we haven't yet, we look forward to the loop-de-loop. You know what I mean? We ride roller coasters. Even if it's your first time on a roller coaster, you see the loop-de-loop coming up, you get excited about the loop-de-loop. Yeah. You know? So and that's where I'm at with it. All right, so this is where you know this this scene. I will admit this all worked the setup because she sees her parents coming from a mile away. Literally. Yeah, across a cornfield, <laughs> and so she's gonna make a run for it. But then he jumps out the window and like gets her for a stabs her, mm-hmm. and then yeah, like right, crushes kind of her like voice box mode. pretty much. She can't scream because she gets like. The, th- the thing that works for me in this scene, in this moment here, is that she gets so close to her parents out front. It's like, you can just, all she has to do is, like, bang on something to get their attention. She's that close, but, like, there's she's nothing just, around. She's laying in the middle right, of the fucking exactly. field. Exactly. Unfortunately for her, they're about 70 yards away. She's, she's injured. Been she's not. Ghost face. Collarbone yeah, and Ghost and face is a whole lot faster than her. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately. And then the. the the thing with her still holding the landline in her hand. So when her parents, you know, when her father says the the famous line, you know, go to the drive uh, to the McKenzie's. McKenzie's. It's a throwback to Halloween. And they call the police. And so she picks up the phone to do so first, and then she hears Casey like saying, "Mom, like she's dying." And you hear the knife stab, and then the phone cuts out. So. To be a parent and hearing your daughter die over the phone like that, like it's heartful shit. It's it sucks. And as speaking as a parent myself, you know, I can only imagine how you know what they were going through. And then we get the shot where they go outside and the mother has that curling scream, and then we get the the, the pan in shot of Casey just gutted and torn yeah, it's like inside the fast out, zoom. hanging, unrated. It lingers a little bit. Yeah. But in theatrical, what you and I watched, it just it's that fucking 90s quick edit cut zoom effect you know yeah. all you gotta do is pause your VHS players or DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever yeah. you, however format you're watching one um, if you're one of them lucky people that got a 4K copy this week if it's that then sure check that out too um, and that's it that's our opening Drew Barrymore 
exit stage left. Thanks for having you. And yeah, and and I remember like I was a little put off because people were at first flabbergasted. And I'm like, do you remember what Hitchcock did with Janet Lee and Psycho? I mean, come on, well, this ain't the first her, time it's been done. But before. he didn't kill her off in the opening scene. You let her get. You let her, the audience. He let the audience like get to know this woman for half the film. Forty-five minutes in, and then he was like, eh. "Same, similar effect." I won't tomato, say the tomato. Same. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. All right, I think let's, still, let's you agree know, to disagree you, on this one. You, you mark it on one. Focus is the lead because they're the big name, and then yank, bring somebody I don't, else. In. I don't know Casey Becker. I, I, I don't. I know she's Drew Barrymore. <laughs> I know she don't know shit about right, horror movies. Right. I know she's got. She's dating a jock boyfriend. <laughs> That's what I know about Casey Becker. So. It's hard for me to get, you know, behind this. You know. All right, well, based on that, then how much you know about Marion Crane? I know she's slimy. I know she <laughs> uh, likes to fuck over her boss. She ain't very trustworthy. Yeah. I'd never marry her. <laughs> Should I go on? <laughs> she's better. I know skeezy. enough. <laughs> yeah, she's a skeezy, untrustworthy woman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so right away after this, we're introduced to City Prescott, the film star. Uh, she's on the computer in her room, and then she hears a sound from a window, and then up pops her boyfriend, Billy. Billy who? Billy Loomis. Yeah, Climb, climbing in a window much like Glenn in fucking Nightmare. Yes, and, I never thought about that before. Yeah, it's, and, and it looks exactly like Johnny Depp. Yeah. So it's almost like he's recreating Johnny Depp's entrance in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, because this is Skeet Ulrich. Yeah, it's, it was at the time was like the poor man's. He's like, you know, the wish list Johnny Depp. Because at this at this point, it was just this and that movie Shine of Jeffrey Rush that he was in, I believe. I never saw that. I've never seen it either, but I just know he was in it. He I didn't know he was in movie. that. I think they came out at the same time as this. Uh, you know what? You know what it was. I had seen before this, but didn't realize I had seen him already. Was um, he's in in uh, as good as it gets with yeah um, yeah with, I knew that with, you know, mm-hmm. Nicholson and and Helen Hunt, uh, Greg Kinnear and Helen Greg Hunt. Kinnear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to talk about this fucking lock concoction that fucking Sydney has in her bedroom. Which is propping the door up. Like, I used to pull that shit when I was in Charles. Really? Ask, ask my mother. Ask my mother. I used to be able to pull that shit. I had a closet door and it was like It's that. almost like the door should, the closet door should be going the other way. I know, I know. I had something like that when I was <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I was growing up on Charles' mind. These doors Mom should not be doing it. this. Yeah, yeah. She couldn't get in with it. And, her, and the fact it. that her dad's okay with the doors being like it's, this. No, she. It was. It was. I think dad just like thinks. Oh, her closet door. Because was he hears a sound. But you should be able to in, set it up on purpose. Dad pops it in. Legitimately worked. It's like we just see dad's head about this movie when he pops in like uh-huh. uh, like a prairie dog. Right. <laughs> it's like did I hear a it's sound. Like a prairie dog. I'm going away on a business meeting. I'm not a red herring or anything like that. Just uh. <laughs> Just leaving for uh, until the third act. So uh, leave left your forty bucks downstairs and uh, order you a pizza. Order some pizza. Don't do any drugs. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. There's There's condoms on top of the fridge. I'll see you in the end. So uh, yeah, Billy stops by because he was watching The Exorcist on TV, and it was the mate. It was the cut for television, obviously, and uh, it got him thinking about him and Sid. about you know how everything was edited, all the good stuff was cut out. Oh, close call. Billy, what are you doing here? Well, it occurred to me that 
I've never snuck through your bedroom window. Right in, in, now that it's out of your system. No, I was home watching television. The, uh, the exorcist was on. It got me thinking of you. It did? Yeah. It was edited for TV. You know, all the good stuff was cut out, and it, it got me thinking of us. Well, two years ago, we started off hot and heavy. Nice, solid R rating on our way to an NC-17. And how things have changed, and... Lately, we're just sort of edited for television. So, you thought you would climb my window and we'd have a little raw footage? <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't dream of breaking your underwear. I thought maybe we could do a little on top of the glow stuff. Okay. Yeah. He's comparing their, you know, juvenile relationship to um, um, movies like. There's now, a this lot is, of fucking movie comparisons. This, this is shit. these this guys is, really fucking compare shit to movies. This a lot. is where this is where age differences come in because. And uh, to a younger person, be like, oh, it's kind of cool to me. I'm like, that is so fucking ham-fisted. I feel insulted. Like, you're just like, look That's how, how I felt watching it earlier. Look at look at how pop culture yeah. cool I am. I'm going to name drop all this stuff. You know, so, again, we're you know, I, I don't completely hate this movie, but it... it and, and yes, it was the shot in the arm the industry needed, but it's not the shining light that everybody holds it. Up it was, there. but it wasn't the one that I it necessarily agree with. It doesn't need four three for, sequels. How's that? It doesn't need three sequels on a revamp. I'm telling you right now, doesn't. It doesn't. Been After left, watching been, this movie, could have been left alone. It does not. Could have been left alone. This movie didn't even warrant a sequel. No, but money talks and bullshit walks. Right. So. Right. Uh, we are introduced to Woodsboro High the next day at school with police and news trucks all over. We got people making references to Sydney's mother's murder. Because now Sydney's got a backstory. She's got a mother who... Um, it depends on which film you're watching. Because I feel like in every single film, like there's more and more added to this woman's backstory. <laughs> but in this film... She's just known as the mother who was murdered, and we never. And, and Cotton Weary did it, who was played by Leo Schreiber. We see him briefly on the news, on, on like the yeah, news. like I, I'll, I'll it's be honest, and you miss it. I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I'll, I think you and I had talked about this before, long before we, you know, we even started the goddamn show. You and I talked about Leo Schreiber playing um, Cotton Weary, like. I remember him being, you know, a, a more prominent character, obviously in the in the second film. He is, he is. And he's one of the, the main characters in part two, right? And that was when I first kind of stood up and took notice of Liev Schreiber. Like I always saw, like that's the first time I, you know, saw the guy as an actor. Um, and you were like, no, he does. He still plays Cotton in Scream, even though it's only two quick shots on a television. It's still Liev Schreiber. Yeah. I always like, I guess in my mind, because by the time the character had some dialogue and was, you know, delivered with a bit of meat. You know what I mean? I forgot that, you know, it, it could have been a throwaway. Like, you could have thrown that character away in the first I, you one. You could have. I remember not long after this came out, MTV was having some sort of weird promotion where you could watch, have a screening of Scream or maybe watch Scream 2 with stars of the of the first film 
Um, and, it, and it broke down with their names and a, a shot of them from the movie. And it was Skeet Ulrich, Matthew Lillard, and Liev Schreiber. And I'm like, who? And then it showed that quick news clip of him in the back of a police car wearing the green orange jumpsuit. Yeah. And that's like blinking you miss it shot. And it was like that. Like they used that for like this promotion or whatever. And I'm like, who the fuck is Liev Schreiber? I'm like, oh, that guy? Like that guy's supposed to be someone famous? And then it wasn't until Phantoms... Which Ben Affleck was apparently the bomb man. <laughs> he's he in took that. The words right out of my mouth. He's a he's a secondary character in that movie. And yeah. He was like the deputy because I think Affleck's the sheriff of, yeah. the, of the small town. He's yeah, the right. deputy. Because that was another one with Rose McGowan, who we're actually introduced to in this scene. He plays Tatum. Uh-huh. Um, her and um, who else was in that? It's some other actress, um, Joanna Going. Yeah, she means I have no idea. Yeah, me neither. So anyway, um, so yeah, we're introduced to, like I mentioned, Rose McGowan, who plays Tatum, um, who's Sydney's best friend in school. Um, and it's, it's, it's the school. It's everyone, everyone's gathering around. Oh, did you hear what happened last night? And then, so we have sheriff. Yeah, but it's a school with a news crew and the, and and, and I mentioned half that. Yeah, I mentioned that. The but, and then we cut to the sheriff's off the sheriff's office, the principal's office, and he's got um, the sheriff and Deputy Riley, who's Dewey, and they're in there interviewing students one by one. They're getting uh, who's, called who, the who's playing office. Principal Henry? Oh, that'd be David Arquette. No, I said oh, who's principal. playing Principal oh, Prince, Henry. Oh, I, I missed you. Um, that would be the Fonz, Henry Winkler. Hey. hey. So, uh, Sydney, Sid gets called back, uh, and then the, you know, sheriff's asking just brief questions. Yada, yada, yada. Sorry, your mom died last yep, year. Pretty much we got to ask shit. you about these murders this year. And then we get one of the scenes, uh, one of the film's most infamous scenes, and that's, in my opinion, and that's the, the, the fountain scene where we're. Yeah. It's, uh, we're introduced to Randy, uh, who is, uh, Jamie Kennedy. Uh, Stu, who is the boyfriend to Tatum, and Stu's played by Matthew Lillard, mm-hmm. and then Billy and and Sid, obviously. And you know, all laying around, have, that's where they have their lunch. Is at the fountain? Yeah, this is Woodsboro the, Fountain, as I call yeah, it. And, and yeah, they're just and they're talking the about school. the incident and the rumors. They're making nonstop horror references and talking about what they were asked when they got called to the sheriff. Um, Sid asked how you even got someone when they're talking about how Casey was killed. And um, I think it's Stu who mentioned she was gutted. Um, and then, you know, Randy's making a, a, a joke out of it. You know, uh, they put a li- or something. He does a Jerry yeah, Lewis know. impression about the liver in the mailbox. Now, now, is that what that is? All yeah, these years of my trying, life, I don't know what the fuck he's, he's trying, doing. Yeah, he's trying to do Jerry Lewis. Okay. Um, yeah, that's what he's doing. The fact is it takes a man to do something like that. Or a man's mentality. How do you gut someone? You take a knife and you slit him from groin to sternum. Hey, it's called tact, you fuckrag. Hey, Stu, didn't you used to date Casey? Yeah, for like two seconds. Before she dumped him for Steve. I thought you dumped him for me. I did, he's full of shit. And are the police aware that you dated the victim? What are you saying? I killed her? It would certainly improve your high school kill. Still was with me last night, okay? Yeah, it was. Ooh. Was that before or after? He sliced and diced. Fucking that case, where were you last night? Working, thank you. Oh, at the video store? I thought they fired your sorry ass. Twice. No, I didn't kill anybody. And a 
Nobody said you did. Thanks, buddy. But there's what you have to notice now, like obviously knowing the ending to the film, and you knew it, you're going in. And watching this scene, knowing right, the did ending. you like watch it? Like, like now, knowing now, if you look, if you look at the dynamic between Stu and Billy, and the like looks it's, that it's Billy's just, given, it's just there. And the looks that Billy's right, given, right, it's like he one, gives it away. Because at one point, Stu actually says, "He goes, he goes, I didn't kill anybody." No one says you did, buddy. Right. Thanks, buddy. Of course not, because I was not the... I didn't stab her that night. You did. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. And I read somewhere that there's a way to tell the difference between as to whether it's Billy or Stu, because Matthew Lillard was so clumsy on set. Like, he would literally be doing a scene and would knock the telephone off the table accidentally. <laughs> so, like... Wes actually kind of found it so endearing as like a character trademark that he deliberately made Stu's ghost face the clumsy ghost face who would always stumble. Right, right, shit. right, okay. So that's how you know who's under the mask is if he trips over something, it's usually Stu. That makes sense. You know, but yeah, if this, like right here, like watching them back and forth in that scene, especially when he's like, it's called tack, you fuck rag. It's called tack, like, you that's, fuck rag. Like, that's he's right. like, like, Billy's like, shut the fuck up. We just, we're, we're about to start pulling this off. So don't open your mouth exactly. now. And still he's just kind of baked and running off at the fucking gums. Yep. And they're back and forth. Like, it's my favorite. It's my, actually my favorite thing out of this whole movie now is the dynamic between Stu and Billy. Yeah, it's pretty obvious <laughs> watching it back. Yeah, coming back on it, you're like, okay, this is what I really should look at. Not all the, you know, the stabby, stabby, blood, blood, who's who's under the black cloaks. Let me look at these two fucking dorks and see what, I, see what clues I can put together. And you know what? Before we move on, personally... I never gave a fuck who was behind the fucking road when the killings happened. Like, who... There's always, like... People still have debates. Like, who killed who in each film? Like, who gives a fuck? You knew there were two killers. Who cares which... Who cares which one was underneath the fucking mask when... You know, it's like part two. Who killed Randy? Was it Stu... Was it Stu... Or Billy's mom? Or, or was it, um... Uh, what the fuck's his face? Uh, Timothy Olfen's character. Mickey. Mikey. Whatever the fuck his name is. You know, it's like... Who cares? It's like the great line from Steve-O and SLC Punk. Who cares who started it? You know? It's, seriously. It's... It, they got killed. One of them wore... That's all that cares. That's all that matters. So Sid gets home from school and... Uh, she calls Riley... Riley. Tatum. She calls Tatum. Riley's her last name. About staying over uh, her dad... With her dad being out of town. Um, and I have here in my notes, what do these parents even do for a living? Everyone in this fucking movie's got, like, this huge house. Right, and, and, and they're, it's, they're farmhouses. Yeah. Uh, which means, you know, they, are. they have to they're tend right. to the land. Yeah. But yet they're also traveling. Are they going to some agricultural convention? No one gives a fuck about these farm animals. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, where are they? Are, are they are, are they at an agricultural convention or, or fucking speaking, <laughs> you know, in Congress against, you know, lobbying against... I don't know, uh, the, the stock growers organization? Who the fuck knows? It's like it's like every year around Christmas, everyone's always asking the question, what the fuck is Peter McAllister doing for right. a living? It's, I, I want to know what the fuck the peer, all the parents in Scream are doing for a living. <laughs> right. You know? When this is like middle of a school year, they can just up and take off. It's not Halloween. It's not homecoming. No, it's not. There's, it's, it's not. It's literally like, you know, the it's weekend It's like the middle of, of February. Right. It's, 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 in it's, California. This, yeah, this takes place between... You know, Wednesday and Friday, April the 17th and the 
decade. So Earth Day is like yeah, the Earth Day Earth Day is the biggest holiday that comes up during the time frame. He's killing on Arbor Day. <laughs> That's right. So Sid falls asleep and is woken up at night to uh, Tatum saying that she's leaving soon to come get her. Uh, says she's going to go to the video store to rent all the right moves because apparently if Tom Cruise moves the right way, you can see his penis. I have heard that's a real thing. It's um, Ironically enough, today, the date that we're recording this is exactly like 25 years from the release date of all the right moves. It's actually, 25 years ago was Scream. All the right moves came out in the 80s, right? It's, well, I, I don't mean 25. You mean 35? Shit, at least 35. <laughs> That's what I meant. But but today is the anniversary oh, really? of the... Yes. Oh, nice. It's the anniversary of the theatrical release of all the right moves. Yeah. And I don't know that because I'm looking for Tom Cruise's penis. I just know it because like, I get this little fucking updates on stupid shit. Like I've never that. seen the film, so... I gotta get uh, around to it's, it. Yeah, it kind of reminds you of Anthony Michael Hall's Johnny B. Good, only with a bigger budget. Gotcha. So, uh, Sid hangs up and gets another phone call immediately, this time from the killer. And he talks about it being a scary night with all the murders. It's like a, about a scary movie. Uh, right off the bat, Sid thinks it's Randy fucking with her. Mm-hmm. And she's calling him out, going on the porch, sticking a thing up her nose. And she's like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And turns out it's not Randy. Uh, he tells her if she hangs up, she's going to fucking kill her just like her fucking mother. She says, fuck you, hangs up, and then locks the door. Boom, killer comes out of the closet behind her. Now, I've watched this film with my fair share of people who are first-timers, and this was probably the scene that made them jump the most was when he busts out of the fucking closet after she locks the door. Not sure why, because it's probably the most obvious jump scare of the whole movie. <coughs> I think the movie, I would assume the biggest jump scare would have been the third time Casey looks out the window in the beginning, and then the third time it's actually go face, like face to face, whether it turns around that quick cut. Yeah. I would assume that would have been one of the biggest scares, but I guess, I, no. I guess this, I guess this one got him because they were, um, they were so comfortable with, with the, with the setting and, and, and whatnot. Like, okay, she's just, you know, she's, yeah, we know we made it home safe with Sydney because we've been with Sydney and nobody else could have gotten in there. Yeah. You know, so they've, the, so those, that audience that you're, that you're speaking of, you're watching this with, felt, felt that same comfort in the hands of the director and the director yeah, just won up them. And that's why you give your trust over to, you know, Wes Craven and John Carpenter and, you know, Clive Barker, Ty so West, so in some in, yeah. in, in some occasions. Um, you know, it'd be, it's like, all right, uh, wow me a little bit. Just keep me safe at the end. You know what I mean? Make sure my seatbelt's top. You know, buckled. I'm here for the ride. You know, and so, she's she's chased upstairs and to her room where I want to begin my next mini topic, and that is. Apparently, in 1996, you could dispatch the police on your computer via 911. I didn't uh, know this was a thing. It's, yeah, I thought about that. I didn't was take that a note thing on it, but I thought 90s? about that today. I mean, this it, is before it, it, internet took off. It Think literally, about that. It literally looked like she she had, she literally had the... Um, she was, like, text the messaging speak to, the, the speak to text... Um, yeah. Uh, website up right, because right, right. I you know you used to, we used to get those calls working retail from time to time it would, it, it would be a deaf you know customer that had to do a text relay and it looked like she was using that website you think that's what she was doing it's, yeah but she had it she had a website up pretty quick and logged in oh yeah like she keeps it up there I mean, just no in case that, no computer from the mid 90s is working that fast 
Sorry, Ghostface is going to get you. But they're, so, yeah, they're, they're in the middle of fucking got, but Nebraska. Don't worry, but don't worry, because she's got that funky-ass locking coction that works and worked against her dad. Sure, shit works against Ghostface. Yeah, but he there's... can't get in, and he goes away eventually after she gets full of the cops, apparently. He just goes away, and then right away, Billy pops up at the window. He embraces her, and what falls out of his fucking pocket? A brick cell phone. Uh, what was that, a Kiyosera? Um, it was either Kia Sarah or it was probably it was more likely it was an Nokia. Looking, yeah, I was thinking that was my second guess, Nokia. It was Nokia. Uh, see, so yeah, then we cut to the police station. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the Motorola block like the Zach. Morris no, joint, no, no. But it was, it, it would have been, it would have been, it did it, it, it had the flip bottom, right? Like you flipped open the mouthpiece. No, it wasn't flip. Not this, flip. it was, it, it was, was a, a full candy, candy bar, straight candy bar. No, no clamshell to it at all. It was a candy bar. Um, yeah, it was one of the two. It would have been Kia Sarah or Nakia. Likely, judging by the design and the thickness, it, I, I'm thinking it was Nakia. So, this is where Wes and company want you to believe that Billy is now in the free because he can't be the killer because he's arrested. And then he gets out. The next scene that's revealed. Well, the next scene's that. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're quick to arrest him, too. Like, oh, you were in her house with Well, they don't quite phone. arrest him. They tell him that he's being held until they get these uh, the, a copy of those phone records. Yeah, but Sydney's also, like, super quick to distrust him, too. Like, all of a sudden, my boyfriend's and got a cell I phone. And I think he says that because the next day he's in school. So he must not have been held for that long because the next day he's at school because he says, you know, they, they, they let me go after they saw it wasn't me. And it's the whole scene where he it's, he encounters Sid and, and pretty much you know pleads with him now that he's like, see, I'm not the killer. It wasn't me, you know. Um, now, look, I don't know if it, I don't know about you, but if I was still in high school and got locked up on a school night, I would like to think that unless there were final exams due, that warrants a day off of fucking school. I need to recoup. Probably, I just spent the night probably. in jail. I'm not going to get freshened up and just show back up to class. But in the you morning. really think Billy Lewis is going to stick around if his dad says you're staying home today? Like, nah, he's going to fucking school one way or another because he's got to fucking look out for himself because he can't be thinking that he's the killer. He's, you know, but I, we got ahead of ourselves real quick because of the, the, the after the police uh, questioned Sydney after she's attacked. Uh, she, Gail Weathers were introduced to her. She shows up with her uh, cameraman Kenny, and uh, she tries. W. To, Earl Brown. That is W. Earl Brown, my boy from fucking Deadwood, and she's warned from the something about Mary and such other great fucking. Uh, roles. He played. He played Meatloaf in that VH1. Yes, bio he did. Pick. Yes, he did. There was uh, straight out of hell where there was about um, you know Meatloaf's relationship with Jim Sharman. You know, collaborating together. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm always, I'm always big on W. Earl Brown. Shows up in, you know, a very major supporting role in the Last of Us uh, video game. Yeah. And so Sid uh, punches Gail after patronizing her about her book. Because, <laughs> Cole be, Cox, because Gail is uh, so, was talking about her dead mom uh, for for you know for for news reasons and stuff. Yeah, and so she didn't like that. yeah. Gail Weathers wrote a book about the trial, but yeah, you know, right. uh, of. Of Mrs. Prescott's murder and and Cotton Weary's, you know, basically innocence. proclaiming Cotton Weary's innocence. Yeah. And Sydney Coldcocks her when when Gail says she'll send her a copy of her book when it comes out. Hi. It's some night. What happened? Are you all right? She's not answering any questions. All right, just leave us alone. No, no, Tatum, it's okay. She's just doing her job, right, Kim? Yes, that's right. So, how's the book? Well, it'll be out later this year. Oh, I'll look for it. I'll send you a copy. Oh! Oh! Jeez. 
Nice shot. Bitch. No, I mean, camera shot. Where'd you learn to punch like that? Uh, and then, yeah, at, 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 and then at home, uh, not at home, they're back at, uh, Tatum's, and then she gets a call from the killer. Yeah, they're laying there in Tatum's room, because, like, you know, Tatum's got twin beds, conveniently enough. So you got, you know, uh, Rose McGowan on one bed, and Nev Campbell on the other bed, and, you know, Deputy Dewey's still in his sheriff's uniform. He's like, brings Grabs her a thing ice. Like, Hello. He brings her, he brings her an ice pack, so yeah, I figure you might need that for your... You know, for your hand. Yeah, and then she gets the phone call from that. Right, and, and what I love is when mom calls for Dewey's help, he comes running in his underwear, but he's holding his gun like he's going to bring the gun to yeah, the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was gonna and then he grabs the phone, the phone and he, he just goes, hello. <laughs> but he brought the gun to the right. phone call. <laughs> um, And then this is where we get the Cat and Leary cameo on the TV set with yeah. uh, Sid and Tatum watching the news over breakfast. Dewey says that Billy was released as the cell records came back clean. So Dewey takes Sid to school, and then it, uh, right here we get our Linda Blair cameo, where she plays the reporter trying to talk to Sydney, and, and Dewey pushes her away. And she makes that comment like, we got a right to know the truth, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So then uh, Sydney confronts Gail to talk off camera. Gail says her mother was last year's hottest court case, and eventually Gail admits that she believes Cotton was falsely tried. So Sid believes... Uh, Cotton butchered her, but Gail is, uh, said that he was framed. And Gail thinks that Sid isn't so sure. Yeah, she talks about, like, you know, he let, you know, he was drunk. Your mother let him there. He left his jacket there. She's like, I saw him leave with the jacket on. This and fucking Gail's story like, you saw somebody leave with the jacket on. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's pretty much a MacGuffin on Kevin Williams' part. You know what I mean? Just to move the plot along, like this whole Mrs. Prescott was a floozy. Yeah. You know, all it does is just zip you, you know, to the climax. It's played around more in, you know, in the sequels. But oh, again, they, 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 they did. A lot need of it me. is. You know, I mean, I think the only thing I like about part two is Leo Schreiber delivers dialogue. I mean, it's my favorite part of the sequel. I think part two has a lot of things going for it. I actually prefer um, some things about for all, in part two to the first one. Overall, I think the first one's a much more coherent and, and put-together film, whereas part two, um, yeah, it had a lot of ideas going for it, and it definitely ups the ante in a lot of ways. Yeah, but you get, but you get, in, it was you, too, you get into this franchise it came and too you fast. start playing the same fucking game. And like, it's, that, okay. it's a lot of the same You're stuff. Like, okay, it's, so it's, it's like playing, you know what it is? It's like playing Clue with the same group of people. You know but what I mean? Honestly, you know, being around for these movies that were primed for more of people my age than yours at this time, a lot of the reason we went to these films is to guess the killer and right. have fun with that. Right. It was a right. lot of that had to do with just having fun with the whodunit aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to trying to be the Columbo to shit out of Right. And a lot of people enjoy you. these screen films you. and for that matter. You right. Know, it's always, it was fun guessing who the killer was. So, um, uh, yeah, we go to school, at school again and then there's uh, a kid, some kids running around with a ghost face costume. Uh, Sid and this is where Sid runs in the building and all that shit happens. So she goes to um, 
No, the principal. Uh, you see the principal, uh, Hembry. He's, yeah, Hembry. He's, he's reprimanding two kids wearing with, the costume. With a pair of scissors. With, uh, yeah, he peels, pulls her mask off, and he pulls it. These are industrial-sized fucking scissors. They're like they're fucking massive, blades. And they're sharp as shit. They're huge. Like, he could, like Henry Winkler would have brought up old charges and, and like fired from the labor board for pulling this shit as a principal, but he just kind of go with it. All because he, like, he suspends them, them, and they think it's, it's unfair. They, Spells like, spell. spell. And it's unfair. You all know. You think it's unfair? Dude, it's fucking blades up their throats. Yeah. You make me so sick. Your entire habit inducing, thieving, whoring generation disgusts me. So, two of your fellow students just savagely murdered. And this is the way that you show your compassion and sensitivity, huh? Let me show you something. You're both expelled. Yeah. Come on, Mr. Hembry. It was just a joke. That's not fair. You're absolutely right. It is not fair. Fairness would be to rip your insides out, hang you from a tree so we can expose you for the heartless, desensitized little shits that you are. Uh, and then we get the thing of sitting in the bathroom when she overhears the popular girls making fun of her and her, and her mom, um, thinking that she's behind Casey's death and shit like that that said... Uh, afterwards, after they leave, she's attacked by Ghostface, but runs out and just in time. Yeah, as soon as, soon as the girls leave, Ghostface like kind of steps down well, from the final before, stall. We hear we hear a very faint Sydney being whispered in the. Oh, uh, see, I yeah. didn't catch yeah. that. Yeah. I didn't watch it with the headphones today. Yeah, we hear Sydney's name being uh, whispered, I didn't hear that and then she the boot comes down and she makes a run for it and just barely snap escapes Ghostface. Mm. Um. And then we get outside, Gail's doing some flirting around with Dewey for info. Uh, that's when we hear the principal over the PA suspending all classes indefinitely, immediately. Uh, and then we get Principal Henry's death scene with uh, the West Craven cameo included. Yeah, it's, and you know what I caught today was that, it, like, obviously I knew that he was wearing the striped shirt and the. Right, I did not catch it. No? Oh. I didn't catch it. His name was Fred until until Henry delivers it. I was like, goes, not, you, like not you, Fred. Not you, Fred. That's, I mean, I knew it was Craven. I knew he was he was wearing the Freddy sweater and the hat, right? But I did not know his character was called Fred yeah. until yeah. fucking Winkler delivered that line. It's I'm a like, great cameo. Yeah. yeah, it's always it's. I've known about it for years, but I never heard Fred the janitor before until today. And then he goes back into his office, closes the door, and Ghostface is behind the door and stabs him to death. So yada, yada, yada. we do get that cool shot of Ghostface through his uh, his eye. Yeah, the, 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 the reflection. The reflection through the eye. Yeah, yeah it's cool. So then we got uh, Stu visiting Randy's at work at the video store. It's it's the it's the the Ockbuster. Blockbuster. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's not quite blockbuster. It's, uh, and this is a scene just chock full of nonstop horror references with, with uh, Randy Guess and Billy being the killer. Watch it, jerk. Oh! Dork. <laughs> Jesus, this place is back tonight, man. We had a run in the mass murder section. Coming to my fiesta? Yeah, yeah I'm off early. Curfew, you know. What's that werewolf movie with E.T.'s mom in it? The Howling Horror, straight ahead. He even admits to it like he can sit a little bit. Um, yeah, he keeps using prom night as a as, as a And then the, the girl comes the up. Basis. Get that werewolf movie with E.T.'s mom. The Howling Horror, yeah, straight ahead. Uh, and then he, Billy 
appears and he's kind of like we got this fucking Billy Stew Randy sandwich going on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because both, he's like fucking threatening Randy like how we you know you're not the killer blah 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 so Sheriff and uh, Stu's just like all fucking loud mouth and cocky oh right? yeah 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 you know Lillard looks half baked throughout the scene which is kind of why I relate to it and then we got the Sheriff and Dewey having ice cream outside uh, <laughs> so Sheriff's smoking a cigarette that's right he's smoking a Dewey's cigarette Dewey's eating ice cream. strawberry soft serve so it shows the dynamic between the Sheriff and the Deputy cause one's like all grizzled and hardcore smoking tobacco the other one's just licking a soft serve <laughs> strawberry ice cream while he's taking orders from the Sheriff you tell us Dewey this, uh, the cell records came back and that they're from Sid's father so then the next day, uh, it's, also, it's revealed yeah, the next but, day. But, but do we, I don't know, he's like, nobody, nobody could have cloned the cell phones. Nobody knows much about cell phones, no. let alone cloning no, no. It's, cell it's, phones it back is a then. Young, it is a young invention. It, is, it was just such, it was like such a throwaway line, like to get rid of it. Like, let's just exposit it and get out of their minds. Nobody could have thought to clone the cell phone. And honestly. Deputy Dewey's not going to know that fucking. Honestly, no the only reason this is. scene exists is for the shot at the end when the sheriff floats down his, throws down the cigarette and puts that with his boot that resembles the killer's boots from earlier. Yep. And it, it makes him red herring number 17 of this movie, pretty much. Um, and then at this point, we're an hour into the movie. We're at the hour mark. And to my surprise, we're at the big party already. I didn't realize it was this fucking early into the movie. I didn't realize half this movie was this fucking party. I thought it was just the final act for like the last half hour. Alright, so we're at the party, and then we see Gail Weathers shows up uninvited to cover the situation. Uh, she expects the killer to strike there. Um, now, it's, what you were saying about how quick we got to Stu's party... Um, I, I always, I don't know why, but I always did remember Stu's party almost being like pretty much the entirety of, I don't want to say act two now that I look at, it, but it's pretty much like two and a half to the first chunk of three. It's the second half of the movie. This film is a little bit shy of two hours and right around the one hour and two minute mark, if I'm not mistaken, when I looked up at the time card is when we get to the party. We had that big shot of the house up front and the, and the fucking song playing, uh, Youth of America, wherever it is. And then Gail shows up, and Tatum's brother, Deputy Sheriff Dewey, he's also looking out for the murderer at the party, and he takes, he's getting chummy with Gail again, and then he takes her inside as a date almost, where she hides a hidden camera underneath the TV for her camera guy outside and advance to spy with. It's a little Sony handheld like handy cam. It's yeah, got, exactly. It's got it's got no transmission which, capabilities. Which I'm surprised though. no one noticed because it's a fucking big brick that's sitting right there. Yeah, it's, the it's it is. No it's, one notices yeah, it's, it. <laughs> it is. It's, it's about the size of you know, like three Galaxy S twenty pluses stacked on top of one another. You know. And yeah, she just stuffs it. Now, if what I remember is like where she stuffs it is like kind of almost like below her hip, like wedged on top of the VCR and the little entertainment cabinet. To the yeah, because she's kind of like 
nonchalantly puts it there, like while she's looking out at the other people. Right, she she's like, like, her. like, kind of, you know, she's mingling. Yeah, but then there's depending on the angle being shot, like it, it varies. The angle's the off. Fucking, yeah, the, camera the angle from what sitting. Kenny's looking at from the van's off. Yeah, especially when Randy's on the phone. Like, yeah. there's no way it would record right. in that close. Hell no. And then right away we get Tatum's death scene. She goes out to the garage for a beer, and uh, the killer traps her in there. Yeah, she tries to crawl out the cat door. It's the death with the cat door scene with, you know, you get that gnarly close-up of her head getting smashed, which now looking back at it, it looks like a fucking rubber head getting smashed, but whatever. Mm-hmm. It's still cool. Um, now, I, I, the way it was shot to me, like, I've still always taking us away from it, like, the the final shot of her breathing versus the aftermath, like, it looks to me like when the when the door's about to hit its precipice, she's still, you know, I don't want to say most of her torso is through the cat door. It but, is. And, but then by the time the door but hits, it's just her neck. It's just her head. You see right. her head literally like she, smashed. She didn't squeeze that far but out. But then if I'm not mistaken, when she's shown later on by when she when Tatum when Tatum when when Sydney yeah, finds she her, got her forearm hanging, hanging out right yeah it's so there's weird. yeah there's it's, definitely it's, there's it's definitely a continuity issue yeah. um some yeah some continuity inconsistencies um and then Billy arrives to talk to Sydney privately this is when the two have sex uh, Gail and Dewey are investigating the area nearby, outside together. And and, and if, if you think I'm just kind of like shooting through this, I, I I am. This party's just a lot of the same to be to be honest with you. Yeah. Ooh, yes! Ooh! Yes! Predictable. I knew he was gonna bite it. How can you watch this shit over and over? Shh. When do we see breasts? I want to see Jamie Lee's breasts. When do yes. we see Jamie yes. Lee's breasts? Breasts? Not until Trading Places in '83. Jamie Lee was always the virgin in horror movies. She never showed her tits till she went legit. Could afford a decent pair. <laughs> What'd you say? That's why she always outsmarted the killer in the big chase scene at the end. Only virgins can do that. Don't you know the rules? What rules? You don't... Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? Uh, have an aneurysm, why don't you? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one. You can never have sex. Big no no! Big no! Sex equals death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. No, the sin factor. It's a sin, it's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Uh, many of the party attendees are then drawn away after hearing news of the, the principal's death. So they all they they hear that he was gutted and he was his throat was slashed and he was hanging by the the football posts or something like that. They they revealed. Yeah, somebody calls Stu's house and Randy answers the phone mm-hmm. and delivers the news to the rest of the, the remaining party gang while they're watching. Halloween, watch Halloween because you hear the Lori's theme as he's like yes. get, taking the news down. Yes. So this pretty much leaves Sydney, Billy, Randy, Stu, and Gail, and Gail's cameraman, uh, the only people at the party. Well, not Gail because she's out with Stewie or Stewie Dewey walking around. So 
This yeah, is where we get the actual. Decides to drive to the football field where they found Principal Hambly. Like they want to see him hanging from the goalpost and shit. Yeah, and this is the actual Bill, uh, Bill, yeah, Billy and, and Sid sex scene where he's like, where she says or asks, "Why can't it be a Meg Ryan movie or even a good porno?" Which is the weirdest way to fucking offer yourself to somebody. I think asking that question, "Why can't it be a Meg Ryan movie or even a good porno?" Mm. That's how Sydney offers herself to Billy. Uh, again, these movie, com- uh, Jesus, not everything in life is a movie. So after they have sex, Sydney and Billy are confronted by the killer. Billy is attacked slash killed. Quotes. Sydney then narrowly escapes the house, and then she's like knocked off into under the boat, which would fuck her up. I know, like, right? Yeah, she like, yeah, she like goes. Who I'm assuming is Stu at this point yeah. has chased her up into the attic, and she ekes her way out through the little window. And she's like kind of sliding down an awning, and then she falls backwards onto a, a speedboat. It's got a it's got a weather tarp over it, but where she lands would be one of the would would have been the on the passenger break her seat. Back. She'd break her back. Yeah, the seat, the the the, the, the fucking back, of, back, the, the back of the passenger seat. She wouldn't be rolling vertebrae. off. And continuing the run. standing up and running. No, no. It's that I would took not. the same thing away two hours ago, pal. Yeah. <laughs> so. Gail and Dewey, they discover an abandoned car that belonged to Let's Neil Prescott. Let's call him Dale and Dewey from now on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gail, uh, Gail tries to... <laughs> yeah, at first they, they get ran off the road by the, the kids as they're going to check out the principal's death. Yeah, they're walking down the road, and these ballsy-ass kids see a sheriff and try to run him off. That's some brave shit to do when you're drunk and underage. They run Sheriff Deputy right. Dewey off the side of the road. So Kenny is watching inside, spying, and at this point, Randy's like geeked out. He's drunk and he's pissed because everyone left his part, or everyone left, and he's sitting there by himself and he's watching Halloween, yelling at Jamie Lee Curtis. And meanwhile, the killer's behind him, and Kenny sees this. And he's like yelling for him to get away, and he goes to go inside. Yeah, the Kenny t- forgets it's a thirty second delay. He does it. The, does a delay on the camera. He opens the, the side of the van and gets his throat slashed. Yeah, but because but Ghostface has already made his way out. So this through. is when Gale gets spooked and goes to drive away, and apparently Ghostface put Kenny on the roof because she like breaks and, Ken- and yeah, Kenny slides you, what down. You, what you jumped over is when is when is when Dale and Gooey got Dale and Gooey <laughs> when Dale and Gooey got run off the road. They noticed the you know the car that was abandoned. I said that the those Neil Prescotts. I, I didn't hear. Uh, I didn't. I didn't yeah, hear I mentioned that. Okay, okay, my bad. They found Neil Prescott's car, so add okay. another red hair. Yeah, add another red hair. Yeah, there was that list. red herring number thirty-seven. There's a lot, bro. <laughs> it's so, like a fucking fish market. Yeah, Gail gets ran off the road because Dewey, not Dewey, because Kenny is his blood all over the windshield. Yeah, she just like runs down a hill, smack into a tree. Yeah. Um, in the news, man. And she avoids hitting Sydney too in the process. Remember? Well, she has to. I mean, Nev Campbell's yeah. the highest paid person on the, you know, on, on the credit block. She can't hit her. Um, this is when Sydney sees Dewey come out of the house and he's stabbed in the back, and he appears to die. 
uh, and then Randy and Stu appear, and they both accuse each other of being the killer. Yeah, Sydney's backing into the house. Stu, Dewey just came, just came fucking stumbling out of the living room. Sid, Sid, and he crumbles down to his knees and falls over on the porch. See the knife in his back. Sydney's all freaked out, backing into the house, right. and. You know, you got Randy entering from stage right, Stu entering from stage left, both scrambling for help and, yeah. you know, both accusing one another. You don't know who to trust, but then meanwhile, you just saw Randy sitting there with Ghostface behind him. So you're like, okay, Stu. Like, that's your first time. Like, even on your first one, you'd be like, okay, that's it. Okay, Stu must be the dude. She basically says, fuck you both, and runs right. inside, closes the door, and right. then Billy's revealed to be alive but barely breathing. She gives him the gun, and then uh, and then he lets Randy into the house, and then shoots him, and then it's the whole you know pig's blood, same thing they use for. Uh, There's carrots here, corn syrup, uh, corn syrup, same thing they use for, for pig's, pig's blood, blood and carry. And then boom, here's our big reveal, and then she runs into Stu, who has the voice box, and he says the whole "Hello, Sid," and then they're fucking with her. Um, they. Basically, out they discuss their plan to kill Sydney and pin the murder spree on her father, who they've taken hostage. She's tied up in the closet the whole time. Yeah, Sue's got the big reveal. He goes down and look what's behind door number three, and Lillard just so like chews it up over the top. I fucking love it. It's fucking. That's there's. I'm just going for Lillard like is yucking it up. He's fucking. You. That's a perfect way to put it. He is yucking it up, dude. You're so you're seriously. So right he yucks the ever loving shit out of this. Scene. I mean, he's like. She's, I all I remember <laughs> is he says a lot of finger gestures and a lot of spit coming out of his mouth. <laughs> I mean, slowly going crazier and crazier and crazier. Seriously. They're not ringing him in, so he's just having a lot to work with, man. It's fun. You sick fucks using one too many movies. Nah, Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Stop it, Billy, would you, all right? I can't take any more. I'm feeling a woozy air. They bring out the father. Um, they also reveal that they murdered her mother and framed Cotton for it as she was having an affair with Billy's father, which drove his mother away. Are you alone in the house? Bitch! You bitch, where the fuck are you? Not so fast. We're gonna play a little game. It's called Guess Who Just Called the Police and Reporting You. Sorry, motherfucking ass! Finding you dipshit, get up! I can't, Billy. Oh, you caught me too deep. I think I'm dying here, man. <laughs> Hello? What's your motive? Billy's got one. The police are on their way. What are you gonna tell them? Peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. We'll rip you up, you bitch! Just like your fucking mother! You gotta find me first, you pansy-ass mama's boy! Fuck! Ah, fucking hit me with a phone, dick! 
Fucker, where are you? Ah! Ah, you fuck! Did you really call the police? Sorry, I My mom and dad are gonna be so ah! uh, Gail, who is now revealed to have survived the crash outside, intervenes, and Sydney takes advantage of this to turn the tables on her attackers, knocking out Billy with an umbrella and dropping a TV set on Stu's, hit, Stu's head, which kills him. She stabs Billy with that umbrella. She comes out of the closet wearing the ghost face suit, stabbing him in the chest with yeah. that umbrella. And, and before we even get to around. this, it, now, I'm, I'm really jumping the story. Because <laughs> before this, they're like stabbing each other with fucking knives, thinking that. Yeah, to, make, to, to make the plan to, believable. To make the plan go. But fucking Billy's going knife happy, and he's pretty much hit. Stu's just getting delirious. He's fucking losing a lot of blood. He even says, I'm, You hit me with the phone, you dick. I'm getting a little woozy here. <laughs> And then, yeah, it's like yeah, fucking Willard just dick. eating the fucking scenery the whole time. And then like, cause, you like gotta love it. Sydney's hiding, and she calls the house, and she's and like he gets on the phone with her while Billy. Yeah, she uses the, the voice recorder, yeah. the, the disguiser for a second. And she's like, "Stu, Stu, Stu," and he's like, "You gonna tell my mommy and daddy? They're gonna be so mad at me." <laughs> you call, you really call the cops? My Bet you're sorry, ass I so did. Oh my god, this fucking not this moment. So yeah, the TV goes down, killing him. Um, where did it? Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> right? Yeah, she just falls in the living room and she just drops this big ass. What would it be like a twenty-seven inch cathode ray tube yes. television? Those motherfuckers probably weighed about one hundred and twelve pounds. And then Billy ends up getting over. shot to shit. And then there's that. That uh, Randy was like mentioning the the, the the moment where the killer makes one attempted final jump scare, and that's what Billy does. Huh, gets shot in the head. Yeah, she. Yeah, Sydney just pops him right in the fucking brain cavity. Um, so like, not my movie. Yeah, exactly. Then Roll we get the, the Hollywood ending. The sun's rising. Everyone's getting all the EMTs and cops are there. They're getting yeah, it's a giant house. Stewie, Stewie, Dewey's revealed to uh. <laughs> being alive um and yeah the film ends without a cliffhanger so that is scream from 1996 as best as we can talk about it i mean yeah. let's be real everyone who's listening to this has probably seen this fucking movie at least a dozen times so it, it's nothing new that they don't you know know yeah about. man what the what the fuck are we gonna bring to it that you guys didn't already know well, I, well can t- I can tell you what we can bring to it that they don't that they that they can't um, the Howard Berger interview, and that's Howard Berger. <laughs> Damn right. Uh, so, real quick, um, you know what? I'll just let the interview speak for itself. Uh, so, yeah, we're about to throw in a conversation that we had uh, about a week ago with yeah. Mr. Howard Berger, who is Went part of well. K and B, who did the effects for this film. We had a lot to talk about as far as uh, horror in, in general, as well as uh, a good chunk of the conversation was directed towards Scream. So, uh, without further ado, here it is. Enjoy, guy. Ladies and gentlemen, kids and heroes, we've got a very special guest joining us today. Our guest is no stranger to the horror community, having a career that started in the mid-80s, working on such films as Day of the Dead, Night of the Creeps, and Evil Dead 2, before working under Kevin Yeager on such films as The Hidden, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, and Child's Play, in which he helped bring the original Chucky to life, even with its fair share of headaches. 
<laughs> it was also around that time when he started KBFX with Robert Kurtzman of Wishmaster fame and Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead fame, providing their skills to such films as Halloween 5, Kill Bill, and the topic of today's episode, Scream. KB is still an active company, although co founder Kurtzman left the company back in 2003. Today, you can find his work on Fox's The Orville and The Walking Dead, as well as films like Space Jam, A New Legacy, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In 2006, he would achieve his proudest career moment when he won an Academy Award, along with Tammy Lane, for his work on The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. It's our pleasure to welcome Mr. Howard Berger to the Film Effect podcast today. Cool. Howard, thank you. thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for Berger. Thank, oh, you. thank you, guys. Thanks. I didn't realize Bob left in 2003. Wow, that's... Uh, I always try to remember <laughs> Bob left the news, company. News to you? Well, yeah. I mean, I knew he wasn't around. I kept looking for him the past X amount of years, and he hasn't been around. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like trying to think, like, 2003. Wow, that's really... That's crazy, so... Almost 20 years. Yeah, yeah, it's been just Greg and myself, you know, nurturing the baby. So there you go, there you go. Good. But, so uh, Howard, yeah. uh, how are things over in Hollywood land? Well, they're okay. I mean, we did avert a strike, which was good. Uh, mm. That happened over the weekend, so that was nice and happiness. And uh, um, but you know that we still have a little bit more ways to go. Uh, the industry's super, super busy all around the world. There is a, a massive uh, shortage of crew people, believe it or not. And, and for, K, <coughs> for K&B, yeah, it's crazy. For K&B, it's the first time where we, we can't seem to find enough people to work in the shop to do, um, you know, lab work and so forth. Because everybody mm -hmm. goes to these schools and comes out wanting to be a makeup artist. But we don't need more makeup artists. We need more lab people. So I keep trying to pressure the schools, like, teach them how to mold make, teach them how to fabricate, teach them how to seam and so the uh, we got enough makeup. All right. Well, uh, let's start with the simple question. All right. Uh, what got you into the makeup industry? Um, well, I grew up in L.A. and I love monsters and movies. And I figured that there were people that made monsters for movies. And mm -hmm. um, and I was, you know, did everything I could to figure out how to get into it. You know, so as a small kid, my parents were very um, supportive and they let me be crazy and destroy things in the house and ruin my room and ruin the kitchen oven and all that good stuff. And, and just learned how to make monsters, you know, and that was my main objective. And, and I was lucky growing up in L.A. and my dad was in the industry and he really, really like introduced me to a lot of the movies that I, I grew up loving, which are like the classic Universal Monsters, and then obviously the, the Godzilla films and Kong. And so it was it was really, really great. But, um, you know, I, I also had the, the opportunity of being able to meet makeup artists, my, my idols, essentially, when I was young, because um, everybody was listed like in the phone books. So I found Stan Winston and I found Rick Baker and, you know, Dick Smith. I knew lived in New York in Larchmont and found his address. So I would write to him and I went and visited Rick and Stan when I was young and, you know, they were very, very kind and um, allowed me to come in with my box of crap and, uh, you know, <laughs> try to try to talk them into letting me come visit. So when I when I graduated high school, I didn't go to college. I decided to go get a job and I got a job at Stan Winston's and, you know, I've been working ever since. It's been, almost been 40 years. So wow. yeah, it's been a you while. had that stride. You just kept going with it. I love it. That's, I mean, that's all you can do. You got to just have yeah. like, 
you know, take the initiative and be proactive and like anything yes. else. I mean, you know, sadly, I think nowadays people aren't as much like that. You know, I find it just a little discouraging when I, you know, people are given opportunity and they don't take it. And I never quite mm -hmm. understand. I'm like, this is what you want to do. Right. And they're like, yeah, but you know, it's just, the hours are kind of long and I'm like, okay, never mind. You're done. <laughs> right, right, right. That, uh, Mr. Berger, that actually kind of leads me to one of the questions I had yeah. was, um, yeah, obviously given, you know, you, you took that dream step in, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties. And, and it was, we all know it was a different time. You know, we can't just, you know, look up you and Greg Nicotero in the phone book and just show up knocking on the studio doors, you know, looking for grunt work. But, um, you know, given somebody who's willing to, you know, to give it their all and take those chances. I mean, what do we, is there any, you know, advice or words of wisdom you would have, to, especially in this day and age, sure. for somebody to take that chance on pursuing their dream when, especially a particular, you know, particular into certain industries, that dream's not going to come to fruition. It's a very small percentage that you know, you get to succeed and you've obviously, you know, you got, you got the rainbow at the end of the gold mine yeah. you know, with an Oscar on your shelf. I mean, what, what would you, what, what advice would you have? What would you get? Well, I mean, it's, it's real simple. I think it's like work really hard for starters, you know, and sure. be enthusiastic, but you'd be surprised. I'm really shocked these days. I can't tell you lately. It's been really interesting having people, you know, interview and their work is, disorganized or unorganized, you know, um, you need to, if you get the opportunity to come to Kane B and, and, and show your work to myself or Greg or Carrie Jones, who's our shop supervisor, you have to be prepared. So, you know, I always tell people, um, you know, if you're going to put a portfolio together, which you should, it's not about quality. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. So like, I'd rather see five great photos than, you know, 25 kind of crap photos. Sure. So, right, right. You know, so it's like, be really self-aware and be ready for the presentation. And I don't want to see anything on anybody's phone. Like an iPad is perfectly fine as long as it's all organized. And, you know, I'm not looking through a photo of a makeup and then seven photos of you on your holiday or, you know what I mean? It's all, but again, this is all <laughs> yes. stuff. I, this is all stuff I come in touch with. Well, better yet, I had a kid that was 21 years old come in and he had a portfolio printed out. Beautiful, great presentation. I'd hire that guy in a second if he wasn't already working. Um, and it was really impressive work and really great presentation. But, you know, if you want to get into this, you just have to do it and work hard at it. You know, I mean, we all did. It's not anything that is going to get handed to you. I'm not going to come find you on the street and drag you into the shop and go, okay, today you're going to do this. And also when you get a job, you know, you might end up starting, uh, you know, low man on the totem pole. Don't expect like in five months, you're going to be on set or in the sculpting room. That's, that's not going to happen. It takes time. It takes a long, and you have to keep working and working. I have this one, one young lady who works at the shop. Her name's uh, Gabby. She's wonderful. And she's in the foam room, but she always does makeups on the weekends and they're really getting better and better. And that shows me she takes initiative and she really cares about it. I then have some other people in the shop who I've given appliances to, and they haven't done their makeups at all. They just always have an excuse. And I'm like, they just do fuck all for the weekend. And yeah, whatever. But I mean, you know, you think if I gave you a set of like, if I give you like 10 sets of appliances from, you know, stock stuff that I was going to get rid of, and it's all high quality stuff, you would go home that night and apply those makeups. These guys, okay. Yeah, no, they have. They're just like, oh, yeah, I didn't get to it. I've been really busy. I'm like, no, no, you're not busy. It's just you're being late. 
it's total i'm being lazy so it's very even even here we are you know 40 years later not that much has changed on on at least you know that side you know your side of the industry well i mean i mean what's changed is that you know it's the people that have changed it's like we were all like feverish like literally it was coursing in our blood if we didn't do this we wouldn't know what to do and it would just be the end of the world nowadays everybody's very very distracted by phones and this and blah 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 and you know however it is it's that it's the way it all develops and it's the nature of the beast but um it's keeping people from actually like having serious interest in knowing what they want to do you know i mean i knew what i wanted to do when i was eight years old nowadays embrace the drive if you will absolutely but nowadays people you know miranda around into their 30s 40s whatever and i mean i had a guy who was 40 say i think i want to get into this and i'm like one i'm sorry it's not it's just not going to (laughs) happen and when you say for that and when you say the phrase like i think i want to that's just not going to fly so yeah yeah. so it's it's you know but my generation was was like hungry for this and still is you know you have myself you have people like norman cabrera you know you've got Dave Grasso, you have all these guys and they go home and they make monsters after making monsters all day long. So we're always, we always have monsters on the brain. I mean, I dream it like, okay, for instance, here, I've been off, I, fi- I wrapped season three of Orville th- two months ago and I had a dream. I woke the dream I woke up from this morning was I was on set and Seth MacFarlane came over and said, Hey, I think I want to add Hellboy into this scene. So I panicked, I scrambled, I did a Hellboy. We had a Hellboy on the bridge of the Orville in a scene. That was my dream. And I woke up and I just wrote him. I went, what the fuck? <laughs> Big foam-ass fist in the middle of yeah, the night. no, it was. I, and I was like, hey, we got it. He's like, yeah, that's great, buddy. You know, we got, we got him, you know. You know, that's perfect. It hung them in. Why do we need Hellboy on the Orville? I don't understand it, but I'll just, I'll just go with it. But that was my dream. I have dreams all the time. I tell my wife, I'm like, you have another makeup dream? I'm like, I dream about makeup and monsters every night. So, yeah, it's crazy shit. Cool. Uh, um, so when you look at the lengthy filmography under your belt, and in terms uh-huh. of, I guess, your legacy, do you often reflect on your career? And if so, do you at least feel like you've made a stamp in horror history? Because if you oh, think yeah. about it, I've always looked at Jason, Freddy, Michael, Chucky, the tall uh-huh. man, Ghostface, ice cons like that as the new era of the universal monsters. They're the yeah. new Frankenstein and Dracula uh, for, and such for a generation. And how does it feel knowing that you've helped create that along with your K&B partners? Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's super cool. I mean, I do look back. I, I think if today was my last day in the industry, I would be okay. Like, I feel like I've accomplished right. so much. And I do. I Even on my phone, I have like 4,000 photos on this phone. And, and I look through it and I'm like, geez, just in the last three years, done some like tons and tons of shit. But it is amazing when you look, look through it. And then, you know, when you go to conventions or wherever, you know, any place, because I have a rather re- recognizable face, um, people will come up and and uh, and go like, "Oh man, I'm such a big, you know, Evil Dead fan, or I'm such a big this fan, or I'm," and it's cool, you know. Um, and it's like me; I was always excited about it. Like when I got one time, I ran into John Chambers, you know, who did Planet of the Apes and, mm-hmm. and Outer Limits, and and I was like out of my mind. So it's fun, and I love it. I love you know talking about what I do and. And if people, you know, dig it, sure. that's great. You know, I'm always surprised, you know, what, what movies people love that I worked on, you know, and I'm like, wow, you, re- you like that one, huh? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I know I love this film. It's so great. It's one of my favorites. I grew up on it. But I have guys at the shop who say that, like, oh, man, I grew up watching this movie or I grew up watching Army of Darkness. And 
to me, it's right. just it's so bizarre because I'm like, I, I, I guess I just don't think about that, you know? So, so the fact that I'm geeking out over here, conversing with somebody who rubbed elbows with Quentin Tarantino, Joe Zito, and George Romero, not a big deal. <laughs> Joe Zito. Oh, good old Joe Zito. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, but yeah, um, no, listen, it's, it's fun. And I don't take any of that for granted by, by any means. I don't go like, oh yeah, it's just that it's only Sam Raimi. It's to me, it's a thrill. <laughs> and you know, it was a thrill to work with people like Toby Hooper and Wes Craven and, you know, mm -hmm. who are gone now. And, right. uh, uh, but, you know, working with John Carpenter was super fun and, um, you know, McGarris is great. And I mean, there's so many of these guys, especially when I got to work on masters of horror, I did two, yeah. oh, yeah. I did two yeah. seasons in Vancouver and Mick Garris, who was the creator of the show, you know, brought in all these great directors, you know, and, and directors mm -hmm. that were even like really kind of a little obscure and really on the fringe, like Larry Cohen, you know, and I mean, right. he was like the coolest guy. Like I always thought like, oh, he's this New York guy. He's probably not that cool. He's probably kind of an asshole. He was, he was wonderful, you know, and, and super fun and really great. And, and, uh, that was a complete joy, but that would give, and you know, Joe Dante is amazing. And of right. course, John Landis is one of my all time favorite people on earth. Cause he's just funny as hell. Um, so yeah, it's cool. It's, it's, it, I don't take it for granted at all. I, I, that's, I, I mean, it, it, that, that's cool, man. I mean, let's, let's face it. Your name's in there. You're in the fucking books or your accent. <laughs> I guess so. Whether you, whether you like it or not. I mean, that's how we look at it. That's yeah, how no, I look at it. it. Greg and I love it. I mean, you know, especially, you know, you look at what Greg has, you know, really kind of created, which is, you know, he's been such a driving force on the walking dead shows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, these, this is season 11. So he's been on 11 years on walking dead. And really, I mean, he created this brand for AMC as far as the, the zombies go. I mean, you know, it started with Frank, Frank Darabont's brilliant brain yep. writing some of the best scripts ever. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and then, you know, Greg orchestrated with everybody at KNBFX, you know, this whole new um, kind of world of, you know, the, the walkers of the zombies yeah. or whatever. Of course. Yeah, and and Ed sick Ed sick I hear me say this, but I want to take a minute and just tell you the one time I did get to meet uh Greg was we it was a local con uh here in Baltimore County. It's been about ten or twelve years or so, but I remember walking up to you know, Greg had his little booth and he, you know, he had he had a, a lot of your can be props effects around. And I remember walking up to Lucy Lou's severed head with a, you know, exposed brain from Kill Bill oh, yeah, Volume yeah. One. And I came up to that and I turned to my girlfriend at the time, I'm like, oh my God, I think that's screen used. Greg stands up, he kind of turns to me, he says, Hey, how you doing? Um, my name's Greg. I'm like, you don't need to tell me who you are, man. <laughs> I, my name's Sean. Nice to meet you, Mr. Nicotero. And he's like, yeah. dude, it's just Greg. And we yeah. just sat and shot the shit, man. So it was, it was, you know, kind of you know, like by, by one degree of separation, I feel like I rubbed elbows with you. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. And listen, we're, we're those sort of guys because, you know, Greg right. and I are, are still fans of everything. So, mm -hmm. you know, we get really excited about it all and we love it all. And, and, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's like if we go to these conventions or whatever, we're not walking around like elitist assholes. It's like we're <laughs> excited to meet people. And, and I'm just excited to see shit and look for monster T-shirts that I can wear. And, right. and Same. I mean, yeah, yes. it's, like, it's the fun. It's, it's about the fun of it all. Yeah, it's about fun of like-minded uh, weirdos. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one more quick question before we jump into uh, Scream real quick. Um, 
I noticed that you've done, I noticed more recently, you've done a good bit of Mark Wahlberg films, and it looks yeah. like that you're credited as his personal makeup artist for some of them. Can you talk about that relationship for, yeah. for us a little bit? We're, we're big yeah, Wahlberg I, fans. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mark, Mark, yeah, Mark is awesome. I love Mark, and uh, he's a really good guy. So for a number of years, for a long time, I was his personal makeup artist, and that all started mm -hmm. from uh, Lone Survivor, because Peter Berg, who directed that movie, hired me to be the department head and, and handled all the makeup effects. So, and because Mark isn't a lot of makeup, I, you know, I had a makeup artist per guy. So like I had right. Jamie Kelman on, on Ben Foster and I had Pete Montagna on Kitsch and I had Corey Welk on Emil and then I did Mark. And mm -hmm. um, so we did Lone Survivor and then I went off to go do another show or whatever. Mark went to go do Transformers 4 or something. And then I was on a film in Florida and then I got a call from Mark and he's like, Hey, I'm doing a movie in LA and I wanted to see if you wanted to department headed and do my makeup. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. So I finished Sweet. my movie and I went to that. And, and then I stayed with Mark for years mm -hmm. and, and had a great variety of films, you know, and yeah, some, yeah it looks like it. Yeah. Some were big makeups. Some were just me making sure Mark looks handsome, you know, which is very easy. Now, is that, is that uncommon in the industry to just like, you know, just like circumvent backroom deals or just, you know, yeah. like, hey, I, I trust this guy and he's going to come work with me. Well, Mark, Mark liked me from Lone Survivor, you know, and he's like, this guy's, yeah. you know. And so, uh, you know, I worked with Mark all the way up. So, so from 2013 to uh, 2018, I worked with Mark mm -hmm. and I did stuff in between. When Mark had downtime, right. I'd take another show because, like, you know, don't I didn't want to sit around and wait. So I would do another show, and then I'd go join Mark when he got another film, which was a, a complete pleasure. And then I, uh, in 2018, we did that Spencer Confidential for Netflix. Yeah. And and then I got another I got another gig, and so when Mark got a film, I said, Ah, oh, dude, I'm committed to. I took another show because I didn't hear anything. Right. And, and so now he's with a really great guy named Alan Apone, who actually I started with when I was 17 years old. Well, okay. sure, nice. Yeah, so it's great. And and so Al's doing him now and they get along great. And I figure at some point, maybe I'll, you know, Mark wants me to come back. I'll come back when Alan is, you know, unavailable or what have you. Um, but yeah, working with Mark Wahlberg is great. And he gets, you know, he gets great films. So it's super fun. Right on. The true Wahlberger reunion. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, I just did a film with Mark. Actually, I have to say that I, I he, there was a movie coming up called Father Stew that he did. And uh, there's a specialty makeup in it. And he called me to do it. And so I was on set with him for six days and did oh, this cool. makeup. And it was super, super fun. And, uh, you know, because he has a really fun entourage. You know, they're not like the TV show. They're really insane. And uh, but it's so much fun. And like the real E, Eric Weinstein, is is like one of the best people on earth. <laughs> and, uh, he's super funny. And, you know, Mark's got his whole his whole gaggle of guys and and it's just one big in, insane yeah now now that you mentioned i've, I've kind of heard there's a little bit of a like like a fat suit or a weight gain going on with with mark yeah, with, that, with that character yeah, that would be so you have a little bit to do with that i'm assuming or yeah probably. i guess Maybe. time will tell time will tell yeah huh? we'll you see. know mark, mark did put weight on so but i okay. really i'm just letting it hang out there because i didn't say <laughs> a word and mark you know mark's like i put all this weight on it and i'm like and he was even sending me clippings he's like i guess i put on like 60 70 pounds i'm like i guess you did <laughs> <laughs>
No, but it's good. It's good. And I always say market, no matter what, Mark is two weeks away from being in perfect shape again. Right. Yeah, yeah. Great. He can be, you know, 400 pounds and then in two weeks he'll be back to his, his perfect, you know, uh, fighter's weight. <laughs> but, uh, he's a, he's yeah. a wonderful guy. I can't say enough good things about Mark and, and um, he's a great boss and a good friend. And, and I, I thoroughly enjoy working with him when I get the opportunity. Cool. Very good. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So let's jump into uh, the film of the episode screen, okay. shall we? Great. So with this being the 25th anniversary of Scream, Howard, what are your overall uh, thoughts on the film? Sequels aside, let's focus on the original film for now. Yeah, well, the original film. I mean, I don't even remember the other ones, to tell you the truth. But the original film, I remember. <laughs> and I'll tell you, listen, guys, honestly, I, I didn't know what the movie was about. Like, I couldn't figure out why we were making this movie. And, <laughs> and, I, and I have to, I'm just going to be brutally honest about some things. First no, off, please, everybody's, everybody's super nice. Wes Craven was outstanding. Uh, Marianne Maddalena, who I, I still am great friends with. I love her to death. Kevin Williamson, super nice guy. The cast, of course, was great. I became really good friends with David Arquette from that movie. And, uh, and uh, it was really, really fun. But um, I read that script and I thought it was horrible. And I threw it across <laughs> the room like seven times. Because I was so incensed. It just felt like everything I had already done in movies was being ripped off. I just felt it was a giant ripoff. Right. It was quite a scary movie, right? Yeah. Well, I was like, this is terrible. And, <laughs> and I was like, I went to Wes because we had just finished Vampire, or not just finished, but we did Vampire in Brooklyn, which ended up being a bomb. So Wes needed a hit. And I was like, this ain't it. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> we couldn't figure out the mask. Like we did tons of art. My heart, no, it really, my heart wasn't in it, but we were doing it because we love Wes. We would, we would have done right, anything. Right. For but it just, I had heard there wasn't a lot of pressure. I had heard it would, there was like no studio pressure. Like this thing literally kind of bubbled up to the surface. It became the, you know, the, the, the zeitgeist lightning the bottle that it was well, almost know, I, organic. I mean, listen, the Weinsteins, uh, you know, were very, they were on us about that mask. And there, there's actually a number of versions of that mask in the movie. And Bob Kurtzman sculpted yeah, all the versions of I was, I was telling Sean about the opening scene. Yeah, there's a bunch of different masks. The mask. Well, each, each, yeah. but everybody had their own you know, vision of it. You know, it was basically Wes saw this one, the screen mask. And he's like, I want that, but we want to change it around. Da, 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 da. And Bob Weinstein had his version. And Harvey had his version. Everybody had their version. And it was getting really, really frustrating. The, the, the first thing that shot in the movie was actually the Drew Barrymore sequence. And so Bob handled all that stuff. And we brought Drew came in, who was wonderful and magnificent. And we did her life cast and, and Bob uh, uh, put that whole thing together. And he went to set for that. And that very long night shot it up in San Jose. Uh, then it was my turn to go up. And then I was up there for the rest of the show. It was all nights. I didn't want to be there. Uh, <laughs> I normally am very interactive with the crew and the cast and everybody. I literally just sat in the trailer, like just waiting to be called to set, you know, I just, <laughs> into it, man. Oh God. Yeah. No, I just was so like, this is not going to be good. And I remember it was like towards the end of the show. And I was, we were shooting the end of the film, you know, where, where uh, Skeet and Matthew are, you know, basically unveiling the revealing to Sydney, right. To Nev what's going on. Yeah. And I've got blood right. rigs going and all that. And I was out there by myself. And I was looking at Wes and we're shooting and I went, dude, what the hell? And he went, Howard, <laughs> this is probably going to be the nail in my coffin. 
Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oh, shit. And so we all felt that way. And then we had, you know, that <laughs> night we, we did a bunch of stuff. That night we killed Rose McGowan, you know, and she gets crushed. So I had a puppet of mm-hmm. her. And then we killed a bunch of other people. And then the la- the end of the night, we shot Skeet in the head. And so we had that all rigged up. And it was just one thing after another, after another. And, uh, and all over the course of one night. Yeah, it was a shit ton of wow. stuff in one night. Yeah. And we had a great effects guy, Frank Siglia, who was up there with us. And, and he was dynamite and helped out tons. But I just I just wasn't into the movie. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know why we were making it. And. I just, I didn't dig it. So anyhow, and I also hated the location and I hate nights and there was nothing to do in San Jose. (laughs) My poor family came to visit me and they, you know, my kids were little and like I had to sleep during the day and we were in a hotel room and it was just, it was really like terrible clear across the board. Anyhow, we make the movie. I'm like, thank God I'm done with this. I can get the hell out of here. And then, you know, I hear, oh, the movie's coming out like December 21st. And I'm like, Jesus, are they going to try to kill this movie or what? Right. Fuck Christmas time. Release. Anyhow, it comes out. It does okay for a Christmas release horror movie the first week. Mm-hmm. And then it starts going bigger and it bigger. It got legs. It got yeah. legs, man. Oh, man. It has it got legs. legs. People, yeah. people just were not shutting up that <laughs> holiday season. I remember it. So, yeah. I, used to back at, I used to look like Matthew Lillard back in the day, and I remember 22 people coming to me yeah. before I got to see it. Like, um, you kind of look like that dude in the Scream movie. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. It's Christmas time. There's no horror movie. Yeah, man. Crazy. But it's, it's, so I went to see it, and I was like, holy shit, this is really good. <laughs> it turned out really good. And I really yeah. liked it. And I thought Wes pulled it together. I think the post on it is great. The music is great in it. It makes it really fun. David yeah, Arquette. Great. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome, man. And, and uh, David Arquette's super fun in it. And Courtney Cox is super fun in it. And I mean, that's where they met. David and Courtney met there. And then, you know, yeah. shortly after got married. And, and um, I was like, I cannot believe this movie is this rocking i really yeah, i mean from from everything that i've read like wallow and said everybody thought they were making a fun horror movie but almost like they were doing a b-level canon straight to video release yeah. and yeah. then suddenly this damn thing just shot the industry in the arm and lit the world on fire and people weren't people were talking about a total summertime no people hard back oh they were still yeah. talking about it, dude the summer of 90 uh, 97 when the video came out you couldn't run it anywhere for weeks it was impossible right. to find it was, yeah, it people was huge loved it. yeah it was huge and and uh Again, man, I could. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I just didn't get it. So I mean, I'm. I, I, I was shocked. You know? But but hey, you know, rock and roll. You know, it made Wes a rich man. But that which yeah. he, he certainly deserved, and mm-hmm. uh, made a lot of careers and created a whole nother world of horror movies. You know. Yeah. Um. So it all worked out, I guess. But yeah, but, okay. yeah I don't know. It all comes down to the final product, I assume. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really give Wes the credit for that because it. I'll tell you what, it wasn't on the page. It wasn't on the page. That's right. What I've read. In my opinion, in my opinion, it was never on the page, and Wes totally made that thing work because it was it was a really terrible script. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, my opinion, in my opinion, I hated it. I hated. It. So all right, so you, you guys came back for the sequel, but then you weren't involved with anything else after that. Is there any reason why? Or just, uh, I know well, West went away. We did stuff in Scream Three. I oh, think. you did? Okay, I, I don't know. Put it on there. Maybe I don't know. But but you know what? For Scream Two, I think I did like a couple days. It was really 
minimal, almost minimal. Like we didn't do the mask. They did something, you know, they got, they ended up paying the people that actually made the one that Wes saw. Fun bought, world. Like, yeah. Bought a, you know, 27 cases of those things. And yeah. so, I mean, we were, we were barely involved with part two and okay. I feel like part, I don't, I don't part three. What's I don't remember. Did part four, what was part four? Part four was the last one that came out. Uh, the one with, um, it's like a return to Woodsboro. I've only watched it one time in the theater. Did West direct? Did West direct? Yes, West. West did it. Yeah. Yeah. It was we supposed to be the start of a trilogy, but then it ended right. up not being. It did flop actually. Um, right. One of the Calkins, Macaulay Calkins' brother, played one of the killers. Okay. So got it. Yeah. No. Roberts see, was the other. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, the last thing I remember was Jane Silent Bob being involved. I think that was the third one. Yeah. That was three. Yeah. It was a cameo. Yeah, yeah. I think you know what we might have done something for the third one. I I don't remember, but the first one I remember. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we, we did do a lot of stuff. Yeah, we did a lot of stuff, and like I think I did like a ridiculous like knife in the throat gag or scissors <laughs> in somebody's neck or something like that for right. the second one. And I just remember sitting on set doing nothing, and I was like, oh yeah, screen. <laughs> I forgot about this. Oh yeah, here we go. But. But, you know, I mean, it's I, I'm glad it's successful and I'm glad people loved it and it's cool and it turned out really well and it did well for the cast because it was a very, very good cast and super nice people. Everybody mm -hmm. was great on it. And, uh, you know, um, you just that's why you never know. People always ask me when I'm on a film, like, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, either the script sucks, but it looks kind of cool or it's a great script and maybe it'll be okay. But you know, there's, it's, I always liken it to like, I always use food analogies. So to me, it's like, you know, you bring all these, you bring all the ingredients to the chef and then it's up to the chef to make a souffle and oh. either it's going to rise or it's going to collapse. <laughs> Do you true. Very true. Sometimes it, yeah. Most of the time it just collapses and you're like, well, that, <laughs> that wasn't worth it. <laughs> all right. So. Um, so with Scream, uh, double back to that. Do you have a favorite moment or scene from the film that you want to talk about a little bit? That's your favorite? Well, I, I liked I liked working on the end of the movie. I thought that was super fun. You know, with with yeah, because yeah. yeah. um, yeah, it again, I was just by myself and I was doing all these blood gags on the guys, and you know, we were using the cane, the patented cane B blood, and uh, <laughs> it was getting all over the place, and and uh, you know, I, the guys liked it. Like I I had. I'm trying to think, did I work? I can't remember the, no, actually I think I did scream and yeah, I did scream. And then I ended up doing 13 ghosts. And then I, that's when I worked with Matthew again, I think that's the right order. I'm not quite sure. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I believe you're right. Thir yeah. 13 ghosts came out in 2001. So you probably shot that in 2000 or 2001 early ish. Yeah. So, but so, Matthew, yeah, it's around I always, time frame. yeah, I was always excited to see Matthew because I just think he's a really, really good actor. And so that was a fun being on set with him. I always enjoyed him. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I like, I like that scene. It was cool. I think it works really well. You know, um, I'm, I'm not one for, uh, exhibition, you know, like where you're, you know, everybody's telling you that, or the ca character's telling you everything, you know, like I could kill you, but I won't, but I will, but I can't, but I want to right. <laughs> you know, just like, just get to the, get to the deed already. Um, and, uh, but I, but I thought that was handled well. And, and those two Skeeton and, uh, and Matthew had a really good chemistry, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, it was just that, that part I liked. That was my favorite part of working on it. It was also because we kind of shot, 
kind of shot the film sort of in order. So I knew that it was the end was near. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. I was like, okay, I'm good with this because we're almost finished shooting this movie. So. Yeah, especially it's a night shoot. And we know how much you dislike those. So you're ready I, to get I hate nights. I hate nights so much. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, it was, it was awful. And it was hot. It was like, you know, we were in San Jose during the summer. And you're sweating your nuts off at 3 a.m. And I'm like, <laughs> that's unnatural. Yeah, it just it just was, you know. But you know, I mean, it's I don't know. I mean, again, I'll just keep going back to saying, you know, it was it was interesting on set. It was fine. There wasn't anything like God. This was the greatest adventure of my life. But but right. I was super happy with how it turned out. You know, it was a it showed me a, a lesson that you know I thought it was going to be crap, and it wasn't. I really, really like that movie very, very much. And, and um, mm. I'm glad other people like it too. You know, I, I like all the stuff in the beginning with, with, um, with Drew, that was all Drew's idea because they, she's the one, she said, I want to be the, that character, the Cassie character, because I want to be killed in the beginning. It's a good red herring because no one's going to ever think right. that Drew. Yeah, she, was, she was originally cast as Sidney Prescott. And it was right. her idea to go, no, no, no. Let me yeah. Janet Lee the shit out of this thing. Right. 86 me before the credits roll. Yeah, that's exactly I mean, right. it's brilliant because she's, you know, look at the poster. She's front and center on the yeah. poster. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. it's all about her. And then boom, 10 minutes in, yeah. she's out. So, yeah, you never expect her to, to meet her demise. So, and that was, that was her, that was her plan. So, you know, it was, it was really cool. I'll tell you a story. Uh, when, when Drew came in and we had worked with Drew before and she is beyond lovely. And she came in for a life cast. And back then we didn't have like a separate life casting room. We, it was like in the middle of the shop. So she came mm -hmm. in and I said, Drew, I'm going to cast your head, you know, to here. I'm going to, you know, put you in this t-shirt. And she's like, do you want me to just take my shirt off? And I kid you not, it was like a like a needle scratching on a record. And everyone <laughs> in that shop froze and looked at me. And I went, no, Drew, it's okay. And there was just like a <laughs> disappointment. Well, I mean, shit, she had done it on Letterman at that point. So yeah, I was it wasn't just thinking the same of. thing, Letterman. Yeah, but I wasn't going to ever do that, Drew. But she <laughs> yeah, was like, you know, if, you want, if it helps, I'll just take the shirt off. And I was like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I had such respect for her. I didn't want her to do that. But um, right, right, right. But yeah, I mean, the guys were so mad at me afterwards. They're like, I can't believe that. Drew Barrymore said she was going to take her shirt off for us to do a life cast. You stuff. <laughs> I'm like, guys, you're fine. Calm down. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It was quiet. You know, that dummy was in our shop for a really long time. I don't know whatever happened to it, but it's a really good looking dummy, you know, of, of, uh, of Drew and, you know, the wow. and all that stuff. And it yeah, can't be in cool. the best of conditions today. I, I have. Yeah. I don't even know where it's at. We might maybe right. end it up at Planet Hollywood or something. Who knows? <laughs> maybe. Yeah. All right, well, I mean, it sounds like there's only so many stories behind Scream you can tell. It sounds, you know, you've pretty much got the, the gist of it out. And uh, we're thankful <laughs> for that. My last Scream-related question, I guess, is um, an obvious one. Um, have you been able to watch the trailer for the new film? No, I, I, I well, it's not a matter of being able to, or it's just, I guess I haven't, I have not. So you just don't I, care. It's, yeah, it's I don't care. Death, right? I don't really care. I'm probably not going to see it. it. So, but that's fine. You know, listen, if, if it opens it up to a new, if it opens it up to a new generation and they go back and watch the original, that's awesome. That's great. And they will. And I'm sure that's, but that's the point. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, my, my, my taste in horror has changed through the years. I love, like, I love the seventies. I love the seventies horror movies. Like I'm out. Yeah, me about it. too. The order, the order I get, the older I get, the, the older of the, like my older, 
the older than the and the films that I like. Yeah. Like I'm finding myself watching more and more genre, like 80s and 70s, you know, and and totally. even 60s now. Now that they got the Universal monsters, they got a 4K box set putting out that I'm sure right. shit gonna grab in a couple of weeks and just absolutely. Just, Re get a re get reacquainted to those you know old school yeah so, no it's true yeah it's i mean I, I'll take a, I'll take a little bit of claim to that because I've got my partner beat here by about ten years I'm like oh dude let me show you what I watched as a kid yeah. and he finds <laughs> some of the stuff some of it he likes some of it he doesn't yeah. but yeah it's I mean those are my favorite genres too man I mean that's when that's let's face it that's when the groove was king that's when oh, that's yeah. what you know kind of puts you in the want to do what you what you're doing now yeah no absolutely mm-hmm. and I mean. You know, it's like we watch movies at lunch at K&B. So we, we are able to squeeze an hour out. So we've been, what nice. did we do? Oh, we started Christine today. So we started okay, watching. Yeah, great. Carpenter. Awesome. But we've been on a carpet. You know, I mean, of course, we, you know, we started with the, we started with Halloween, watch the fog, watch the thing. Christine yep. now uh, we watched Omen, the Omen one, two, and three, which those, the first two are really good. The third one is horrible. Yeah, um, I think the second one's the best. Second one's cool, but the first one scared the shit out of me. My grandmother took me to see it when I was like eight, and I had like nightmares for like two years. And I was like, I could never forget this one's for you, Damien. That's no, dude, that's what did me in. And so when I was staying at her, I stayed at her house, I was downstairs, like in this little alcove and there was like a, a plant hanging from this from the second oh dear lord in my dream i kept looking thinking oh. that was her hanging there it was freaking oh. the shit out. all night long i was like panicking my heart was like pounding out of my chest it was horrifying so oh. i totally didn't end. this is yeah this is for you damien i'm like holy sheep shit but you know <laughs> watching the first omen it was funny because we were like this is fucking great but like when gregory Peck goes to the cemetery yeah, like the normal person. Would, well, the normal person would say, "Like, no, and I'm going to go during the day." So, <laughs> like in the middle of the fucking night, and there's dogs. Right, and, right. In the fall, yeah, and shit. It's real easy. It's like, no, I'm going to wait till the sun. I'm going to go in the morning. I'll get them. Yeah, yeah, but you got you got David Warner escorting you. You might feel a little bit okay. Maybe a little bit. So, <laughs> but okay, that's a brilliant movie. But yeah, so we watch we watch all these movies every day, and and you know we we. Sometimes it takes three days to get through one film because we only have an hour for lunch, you know, but, um, you know, but Sean looking behind you, which I, I, I see Buckaroo Banzai, Task yeah. Driver, Scarface, yeah. and then for some strange reason, Dirty Dancing mixed into it all. It's, hey, <laughs> hey, man, I mean, um, I could show you my stripes, my clockwork orange. Well, that's okay. Um, let's see. Let's see, let's see. I, 2001. Yeah, what do you got there? Which one is? I, let's see, that one is. I can't make that one. As a death, death proof. proof. Yeah, cool. I, I got. Yeah, you got. Uh, it. So uh, I mean, I, I, I flex a little bit of love around around. Uh, I, I'm gonna have to, I, I'm gonna think that the taxi driver poster doesn't want to be so close to the dirty dancing poster though. That's <laughs> that's why I keep my hand in between. Uh, okay. You know? Good. All um, right. <laughs> but what I also love about them is they're, they're, they're not your typical, like, one-off, you know, it's more like the lobby cards, and that's what I feel is missing from this industry. I think the last film to have legitimate lobby cards marketed with it was, uh, what was it, Walter Hill City Heat? Oh, with, yeah, 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 with, with Bruce Willis, was that? Yeah, Bruce uh, no, no, um, no. City Heat with um with uh, Clint Eastwood and oh, right, Brad right, right. I'm sorry, that's right, please. Yeah, I right. think that was the last one to legitimately market with lobby oh, cars. Okay. I'm just a big lobby card fan. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. 
So you. if I if I can frame them up, especially with like European prints and stuff, like my oh. two thousand. Well, thank you for noticing too. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm like, oh, those are all movies I dig. <laughs> <laughs> right. <It's, laughs> I, I like to keep I like to keep the love around and you know in, right. in my little like you know sanctum santorum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keeps a positive vibes. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, you know, I the Academy Museum opened up here in Los Angeles uh, two weeks ago and. They've been having these great screenings. I've been going to the movies there, and they the other night they screened The Exorcist. No, nice. and, and Bill Freakin was there, and he talked for forty five minutes. Wow, yeah, and he brought his print, which had twelve minutes I'd never seen before. It's a different kind. No, so, funny so, enough. Yeah, it was funny great. enough. If you, if you guys are giving me ninety seconds, I want to tell this story. Mandy and I were talking about how, um, and. You know, naturally, everybody, the, you know, the horror movie on talk of everybody's lips is Halloween Kills this weekend. And uh, lately, I've heard David Gordon Green might be tackling The Exorcist next. So I told he is. He confirmed I, it himself. He is. I know. So I'm curious about that. So I told I told my fiance um, about how I went to that that theatrical re-release of Freakings of the Exorcist about 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, what do you when he when he put the extra footage, the like the subliminal shots of Pazuzu in there, and he kind of, you know, cleaned up his director's cut and released it theatrically. And I was in my early twenties, mm -hmm. and I never believed at this time that people got up and ran out of the theater until I went to see this. And I went in the middle of a Saturday afternoon. I'm about five rows from the front, sitting in front of a dude who's much more sizable than me, but more than one instance that he pull his shirt up. And then when Reagan comes down the steps and that spider walk, crab walk. Yeah. When she does that crab walk down the steps at Ellen Burstyn's dinner party, I watch this big dude just scream F this noise. I'm out of <laughs> here. And he ran out the theater. Yeah. yeah. And I had never believed that it ever happened in a film before. Cause you know, I had heard all the horror stories about Jaws and Texas Chainsaw, and I see my re-release of The Exorcist, and son of a bitch, if it didn't happen right in front yeah, of me. No, it's true. Maybe I were just talking about The Exorcist like an hour before we went live, and the fact that you just saw it with Freakin, that's downright incredible, with 12 extra minutes? Yeah, more great. than I saw 20 years yeah. ago? That's yeah, no, fucking it great. Cool. And it was a beautiful 4K print, and um, oh my god yeah he just he awesome. told popped all about the movie and it was it was really great that's awesome wow wow all right so uh we'll stop. what's next for howard burger is there anything coming up you can uh, talk about well, let's see. We well i've got the orville season three <laughs> is going to start airing next year which will be cool okay and um let's see what else well walking dead is uh mm -hmm. happening i guess um airing and Fear the Walking Dead and all that. Um, been working on a lot. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff. We're doing a lot of work at the shop, a lot of TV stuff, a couple of movies. Um, I'm getting ready to uh, go to New Orleans for a big series, a new AMC series, which is cool. And okay, nice, nice horror thing. And I think people will take it. And um, it's got cool. vampires in it. And uh, <laughs> um, all right so, yeah it should be good it should be good again it's going to be two things i can't stand which is knights and blood but <laughs> <laughs> but i committed Can to we, it. um uh, guys want to ask something i'm gonna run this especially by both you guys there's there's two two questions i just have to ask howard before we get off there i'm not going to take much time but um there were there, there were two that i really wanted to ask you um number one was there ever 
like a time throughout you know 40 plus years in your career where like you and your team were tasked with creating an effect for a studio director whatever you didn't feel comfortable with or you didn't think it was going to work that the end result ultimately paid off and you almost kind of had to eat your words was there ever a moment like that well the one thing the one thing that we've always done is even if we have doubt we don't let anybody else know that we'll have doubt amongst ourselves i won't go on set and go like to the director like this is going to be a shit show right but but i would i think maybe um on, from dust till dawn was so okay. filled with stuff that greg and i were really like how are we going to pull all this off you know and we were working like dogs and so i think the, the one big effect was the rat when savini turns into the giant rat creature yeah and we had built it was on an elevated set because it was a puppet that was operated from below and and it was just something we came up mm-hmm. with and and um I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. And then it worked out really well. The whole sequence was great. Robert cut together a great scene. I was like, shit, man, that that worked really well. I wasn't sure right on. how that yeah. was going to play out. You know? um, but, but, you know, a lot of times I'm always like, I don't know how this is going to go. And then <laughs> it goes great, you know. So. Just, yeah, just, you leave it up in the hands of the chef to see what the end dish tastes like. Yeah, but I mean, like somebody like Robert, I really trust as a filmmaker, and somebody like Quentin or Sam Raimi, you know, you trust them, you know, they're going to deliver. It's just that you have doubt in yourself sometimes. I'm like, oh, God, you know, especially at that scene, we kept for the end of the night because we had to light the puppet on fire, take <laughs> everything up, and we're, and it's like three in the morning. And, and I'm like, God, God, I can barely keep my eyes open. I'm so tired. Uh, this is something's going to go wrong. And, uh, and it didn't, it all worked out fine. So I was like, wow, I guess I was wrong on that. That worked out well. So right on. that happens. I couldn't, I, I couldn't have asked for a better answer. So the last, <laughs> last question I had to ask, and I mean, if you're uncomfortable, I, I understand, yeah, but ahead, was, there, was, was there a moment that took place like throughout, you know, the movie making industry as a whole or the effects industry as a pocket that, that caused you and uh, Greg and Robert Kurtzman to sit down and say, you know what, we got to do something and start our own, like kind of branch on our own. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and if there was, would you be willing to elaborate as to what that that memo was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nothing bad. So Greg and Greg and Bob were working for Mark Showstrom and they were doing, (laughs) they were working on two movies. They were working on deep, deep star six and Phantasm two. And I was working for Kevin Yeager and we had just finished Chucky, uh, Mm -hmm. the first child's play. And and, and I was on nightmare four doing Robert England's makeup. And I had been supervising Kevin at uh, Kevin shop for like two years and, and it'd been great. And Tef, Kevin's a great guy and great boss and everything. And the, and Bob and Greg had been at showstrom's for a long time. And we got together one night, literally for dinner. And, and I said, guys, why are we, why are we working for other people? We're like, we're good right enough right. to start our own thing. We'll make better money because none of us were making much money at that time. I think it was making like $800 a week flat and, um, mm-hmm. and working like seven days a week around the clock. And, um, and same with Bob and Greg. And I said, and then, you know, we get the credit too. I just feel like it's time to branch out and let's stop working. For, let's make this our last show. So they made Phantasm and Deep Star their last show. I went to Kevin and I said, after Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm going to leave. The, I'm going to leave and mm-hmm. I'm going to start my own company. 
And, um, and Bob and Greg and I started our own company and we took a chance because who knew if it was going to work, you know, I mean, all the other shops were all just one guy, like Stan Winston studios, Rick Baker, you know, um, EFX and so forth and so on. Here were three guys young. We were in our early twenties. Uh, we were like 21. We were between 20 and 21 and started this company and we had a little teeny shop. We didn't have really a lot of money. And we started to get little teeny movies. And the first film we got was Intruder or Night Crew. That's Scott yeah. Spiegel. Very yeah. underrated yes, movie. Yeah, yes, At the locked up grocery store. Yeah. So yes. that's the very Hell yeah. yeah. We did that movie for <laughs> like $700. But no we, shit. Yeah. But what we said is we'll do it as long as we get the credit front card. That's a special makeup effects by Kurtzman, Nicotero and Burger EFX group. And Scotty said, yeah, that's fine. All we have is 700 bucks. And we're like, it's fine. We'll do the whole movie for 700 bucks. And um, that was the first movie we got, got, we did as the, as K and B and, and then, uh, you know, it went from there and then, you know, here we are later. So it's nice. great. Yeah. Very cool, man. I thought it just took a chance. Hey, it hey, yeah. paid off. It did. <laughs> say the, it did. Say yeah. the least it paid off. It did. That 700 bucks paid off. Yeah. <laughs> Let it ride. Right. Yeah. All right, Harold, I know you got a lot going on, so I'll uh, hang up here. Is there anything you want to promote or share with the audience before we uh, say goodbye? I mean, you know, just keep an eye out for movies. Just go to the theaters now, you know. Yes, just be thank safe, you. Yes. be smart, be safe. But I'll tell you, man, you've just spent uh, 18 months watching your television set. So get, get out of the house. Go mm -hmm. see movies. Support cinema. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Go see you know, go see Dune coming out this Friday, uh, the 22nd uh, we're on IMAX. Yep. Yeah, it's amazing. And, um, you know, you got to support film and, 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 and there's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming out. We're working on a lot of cool things that'll be coming out. Um, but yeah, go, go have fun, you know, go enjoy movies, go enjoy life. Right on. If you're That's in LA, if, yeah, if you're in Los Angeles, go to the Academy Museum because it's fantastic. That's so, check it out. All right, so that's, that's what we're doing over here on the film effects, just trying to enjoy every damn film we can. Yeah, that's it. And there's tons of movies. I, you know, I saw Dune a couple weeks ago, and it's great. All right, so I can't wait. Can't wait. Can't, can't wait to see it. Oh, yeah. yeah me and this guy. It's big. <laughs> it's big. <laughs> so looking forward right, to well, it. Well, all right, Howard. Well, thank you again for doing this. Thank it, you. It, 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 it's a lot. Oh, thank yes. you so much. And um, last thing I have to say is uh, happy Halloween, buddy. Yeah, yeah happy, happy Halloween, Mr. Burton. Have fun and be safe. And uh, yeah, have fun watching Scream, everybody. <laughs> yes. Thanks for taking the time, Howard. Right, it's been great talking to you. All right, my pleasure. Take care, man. All right. All right. So that we got that out of the way. How did we get here? New sketch. How did we get here? I led you here, sir, for I am Spartacus. Alright, so Scream was originally developed under the title Scary Movie by Kevin Williamson, an aspiring screenwriter, influenced by a news story he was watching about a series of grizzly murders by the Gainesville Ripper. Williamson became concerned about intruders upon finding an open window in the house where he was staying. He was 
inspired to draft an 18-page script treatment about a young woman alone in the house who was taunted over the phone and then attacked by a masked killer. The treatment retained, I'm sorry, the treatment remained as a short story while Williamson worked on another script entitled Teaching Mrs. Tingle, a thriller that he would eventually sell, but that would language in development hell for many years. Something about these notes here didn't is is, is kind of wrong. It was actually called "Killing Mrs. Tingle." Mm, it at wasn't. The time. Yeah, it was retitled to "Teaching After Columbine." So after that was uh, languished in development it was hell. Was mirror, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Barry Watson from Seventh Heaven. Struggling to pay his bills, Williamson secluded himself in Palm Springs and focused on the development of his scary movie treatment, hoping for a quick sale to meet his financial needs. Over the course of three days, Williamson developed a full-length script as well as two separate five-page outlines for potential sequels, Scary Movie 2, Scary Movie 3. He hoped to entice buyers with the potential for a franchise. In an interview, Williamson said that one reason he focused on this scary movie script was because it was a film he wanted to watch. Born of his childhood love of horror movies such as Halloween, but nobody else was making it. His appreciation for previous horror films became evident in the script, which was inspired by and references films such as Halloween, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, When a Stranger Calls, and Prom Night. Williamson listed to the soundtrack of Halloween... I'm sorry... Williamson listened to the soundtrack of Halloween for inspiration while writing the script. Clever. Excerpts from the soundtrack appear in the film. By June of 1995, Williamson brought the scary movie script to his agent, Rob Paris, to put out for sale. Paris warned him that the level of violence and gore in the script would make it impossible to sell. Following the script's purchase by Miramax, Williamson was required to remove much of the Goyer content, such as graphic depictions of the internal organs of the gutted murder victims rolling down their legs. However, once Craven was secured as director, he was able to bring much of the excised content back. Williamson was going to remove a scene in the school bathroom featuring Sidney as he felt it was awkward and out of place in the film. Craven insisted the scene should remain as he felt it developed the character and her relationship with her deceased mother. Williamson later confirmed that he was glad that Craven proved him wrong about the scene. Dimension Films head Bob Weinstein realized while reviewing the script that there were 30 pages, approximately 30 on-screen minutes about without a murder, so he instructed Williamson to have another character killed. Williamson included the death of the character Principal Hembry, played by Henry Winkler, uh, based on this input, and in doing so, inadvertently resolved the problem to the script's finale. Williamson had struggled to find a reason for several extraneous characters to leave a party scene so that the killer could attack, finally determining that the announcement of the discovery of, of Hembry's corpse would serve to remove the non-essential characters who were so upset that they leave the party before and enabling the start of the murders. Concerning the, kill, the killer's motives, Williamson felt it was, it was essential for the audience to learn why the antagonists had become killers, but he also felt it was potentially scarier if they had no motivation. Opinions at the studio were split between those who believed the motive was needed for resolution and those who felt the action was scarier without one. As there were two killers, Williamson decided to do both. Billy Loomis had the motive of, material, uh, of maternal uh, abandonment, while the second killer, Stu Mocker, jokingly suggests peer pressure as his motive without, with, uh, when prompted. 
So the script went for uh, sale on a Friday in June 95, but received no bids. By the following Monday, the script had become the subject of a significant bidding war amongst a host of establishing studios, including Paramount Pictures, who currently own the franchise, Universal Pictures, and Morgan Creek Productions. Uh, producer Kathy Conrad read the script and felt it was exactly what the Weinstein brothers of the fledging Dimension films, then part of the Merrimax uh, company, were looking for. Dimension had previously released several horror films and intended to focus on that genre. Conrad brought the script to the Weinsteins. Their assistant, Richard Potter, believing it had potential, he brought it to the attention of the Weinsteins themselves, uh, studios, Began the dropout of the bidding as the, the price of the script increased, and the final two bidders were Oliver Stone, who was the at the time working under Synergy Pictures and the Weinsteins of the mentioned films. And the Weinsteins got the bid for four hundred grand from Miramax, uh, plus the contract for two sequels. So that is how the film more or less came to be. So let's talk about the box office. Box office receipts. So the film premiered in L.A. on December 18th of 1996 before being released two days later on the 20th of December. Uh, the theater count was 1413. Opening weekend box office, $6.3 million, opening up at number four. Second weekend box office was uh, $9 million, went down to number five, but had an increase overall of 42.8%. When it was all said and done, the total gross for screen was $173 million against a $15 million budget. Um, yeah, I think it broke even. For the 90s, that's a lot of goddamn cheddar. That's pretty much like the equivalent to $300 million against a $30 million budget today. That's a yeah. lot. Um, Bob and Harvey were happy with them returns. Yeah. All right, so biggest takeaways. Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points. And may God have mercy on your soul. All right, so here are the four things I wrote down after watching this. The writing is really fucking pretentious. I love the cinematography of the movie. Always have. Uh, the humor, it's just right anymore, and I would consider this a borderline comedy. And then the movie is the perfect centerfold for the 90s. Because it is, in my opinion. The way the, the look of it, the feel, the way kids act, what was hot, what was not. It just... It, speaking of someone who was at that certain age point of the mid-90s, yeah, it, I felt like it talked to me. You know? So, what were your biggest takeaways? Uh, it's, uh, mine was... I'm literally, like, kind of where you're at, only a few years ahead. You know what I mean? Um... Yeah, you're right. This script was... It's really pretentious. It it, really is. is. I didn't realize, and and I'm like you, like I haven't even looked at this film or the franchise in a whole in the better part of a fucking decade, if not more. 
really didn't, you know, ring my bell, so to speak. Like I appreciate it. And then I moved on. Um, well, it's like Howard told us the script sucked. Yeah. You know, and yeah. he's not wrong. Yeah. Because before we, when we recorded that conversation, I, and I even talked about it in, in the conversation, like I had not seen this film. I hadn't watched it yet since 2010 or whatever it was. And I didn't watch this until after that conversation took place. So, you know, looking back at it now, based off of what he said, he ain't wrong at all. This no. script sucks. No, it's really get, fucking pretentious. It's yep. full of itself. No, get to the yeah, get get to the set pieces. Sell the magic. Yeah. Um, which you know, in that respect, I will say it it did it well. I mean, it it had a nice, it, it had a more polished gleam than other horror movies had at that time. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it 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 looked and felt cleaner than anything being delivered in the genre. Mm. You know what I mean? So it, it yeah. made, which made it more accessible. I don't want to say to moms and pops, but at least it it you know it drew a, a slightly younger audience base in and probably a slightly older audience base in to at least hear, see and hear what all the hype was about. Right. Because it always reminded them of something. Like the moms and the pops, they had the fucking Halloween. So he gave them the Halloween on the screen. You know? You know they kind of got where he was going with it. And then dudes like, I, like me were like, I'm like right at that age. But I was feeling pandered to. You got to figure it. It was 10 years or so. I was that, or a couple years ahead of that you know, depicted demographic, but I was still within that market and I felt fucking pandered to for a little bit. And this movie is certain people's Halloween. Yeah. I mean, there are people that legit think this film is, is downright scary. It's the fucking bee's knees. There are people that- And no, I'm not going to take it away no, from No, I'm you. not either. And there are people that legitimately think this film is scary and it actually truly scared them. Um, I never saw that in any no. of these movies, honestly. No. And like I said, the main reason I went back to all these sequels and whatnot was because it was fun. It was the thing to watch. It was a horror movie. It was something that we could see at the time. And like I said, we had fun guessing the killer. It's I tell you what it is. It's being in on the joke because from the beginning of this the beginning of this franchise. They were almost like sticking it to horror movies as a whole, which you wouldn't be seen be done again until Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard gave us Cabin in the Woods. And they poked, they like legitimately turned the lens back on the genre. Right. Okay. So that's one thing I will say about this franchise as a whole is it, it finds those ribbing points and it sticks them. You know, sometimes it's clever. Sometimes it's ham fisted. But it's always delivered in a, in a polished manner. There's money behind it. Yeah. You know, always. Um, so that's what I'll, I'll, you know, those are my takeaways from it, man. All right. Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? All right. We got to loosen up the dialogue <laughs> in this script. Like, chill with every other scene no i'm sorry chill with every other line being a movie or pop culture reference like i i got really tired of it really quickly no one talks like that 
no one, not even me and you, who are like the biggest movie geeks that I know, and yeah, we like don't the, even fucking incorporate things about movies into every other thing that we say. We don't do that. Yeah, like Di- Diablo talk. Cody writes more believable teenagers than Kevin Williamson does. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Because, you know, we, we get it, guys. They love horror movies, mm-hmm. but no one in their fucking right mind talks to what these people do in these movies. No. Like, seriously, like, tight, loosen it up a little bit, you know? Just, 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 yeah, last thing you and I do if we're driving, if we're driving down a like dark, spooky road on the coast and, you know, in, in the middle of autumn, it's like, hey, you remember that scene when suddenly, uh, Adrian Barbeau's character <laughs> came over the radio and, yeah, we're not going to fucking talk about that if bullshit. If you ever talked like Stu or Randy, I would hate you. <laughs> like, I would never associate with you. Be like, that's that fucking loser who thinks movie, uh, his life is a movie. That's that guy over there. See him? Yeah. That Matthew Little looking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your yeah. mulligan moment? Um, you gotta have one. Honestly, I would have, I would have, I, I, I would have hidden Cotton Weary more. You know, I'm sorry, what? I would have, I, I would him more? Yeah, I, yeah, I would have, I would have. Just take him out then. It's, no, 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 just blur him out. Blur him out. Don't, don't, they don't give him a face. They probably did that. They probably did that. I know. Do I know, it more? But, um, no, because there's, there's. Make him uncredited? Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, there's, uh, it's, there's, this movie's just, to me, it's like, it's just so cookie cutter, run of the mill that, like, I mean, there's a lot that, that could, that could be 86 and done better. So you're going to you pick know? a guy who's got four seconds of screen time? I, right, because it ruined it for me, because I could, you know, I kept wanting to see him deliver dialogue and shit, because I like I wanted Shriver. more Ray Donovan. And that was another thing that let me down, man. That shit was a bit of a disappointment. Well, yeah. Um, no, the mulligan moment with this would, it's, I don't know, tighten up your dialogue. I just make it, there's, I want to say this was supposed to appeal to me. And I was literally at that day. I just, I can't help but feel pandered to by it. Nah. The only, my glorious thing I think thing you were too it. old for this at this point. You were 22. I, just, I think, yeah, I think you were. I think you just missed this boat, and maybe that's why you feel the way you do about it. Well, the characters are only because clearly I like it more than you do, and that's fine. I I get it because I feel like this film was written more for me than it was for you at that point when you came when this came out. You were at the age where like you would just by a few years like you're like okay like you were more in you wanted to see slashers more of kin to your Harry Warrens and shit like that. I I I guess like I'm. By the, you, you, you know what? You're right. You're right. Because by that age, I had found like the, the weird, like you artistry had these, behind You had it. this movie in the eighties when they were fucking churned out when they were supposed to be, you know. Right. And it was, and it was like so down, down my throat. You had them point. in their heyday. Right. And I'm like, okay. So now I feel like you're just, you know, already I'm, I'm barely in my twenties. We're, we're yeah. reliving. I mean, you were my around heydays. for all 36 slashers in 81. Yeah. You know? So that was a fucking glorious time. All right. I mean, let's, I uh, let's get the finger looking good, shall yeah. we? Finger licking good. For me, it's the Casey Becker opening. I'll always appreciate the opening scene for this, uh, of this film more than anything else. I, I think it's the one moment of the movie that truly is terrifying and, and at least um, 
succeeds in 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 building the tension and and really giving you that build up and payoff uh, with the Casey Becker character and building her up. Um, yeah, you don't know her, so it's kind of hard to to feel that connection. Like I like I talked about in the plot breakdown, but you know. It, it, you're going into this for the first time. I think what thinking. you're supposed to do is feel the connection to the actor. And that's, right. that's, they're relying on that to like, uh, to like, right. you know, hook, you're being reeled in. The hook is there because it's Drew Barrymore. So you're relating to her as Casey Becker, not Casey Becker as a character. Yeah. And it's Am like, I right it, with that. You are. And it's like that. It's also that, that rug pulling moment where, you yeah. know, you expect her to, to somehow survive all this and to pop back up later on in the film. But, <laughs> right. Nah, she ain't. She done, son. And, yeah, and, um, and that was ruined within like week two of the film anyway. Yeah, but you know? still. Like, there was no I, getting around I, it. But it's still then. a scene that, you know, I appreciate for what it is. Yeah. Um, it, it is um, iconic. It really is. Yeah, it attempts to pull something off and succeeds at the attempt. It doesn't miss the mark. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, mine is just literally like the whole final act kitchen scene with Stu and Billy. Like I said, my biggest, my, my biggest fucking thing from this rewatch would be the dynamic between those two characters to how it's literally like, once you've seen it, if you're stupid, you can't not unsee it now, like being laid out in front right. of you. Oh, and Stu should totally be dead before that TV even his head. <laughs> right. I mean, he should have so much blood loss at that point. Right, right. But it's, uh, and I think the main thing is, is just the way that, that, like, Lillard just chews that fucking scenery. He does. And he's he got, does. he's got a reason too, because his character's a little out of whack anyway. Like, he's only going along with what his buddy's doing. His buddy's got a motive, and his, like you said, his motive is just peer pressure. I was born had nothing better to do, so just hanging out with Billy, we decided to kill some people. And now he's losing blood and going crazy. And he just, just, slowly becomes more and more unhinged to the point where it's like you hit me in the you hit me with a phone, phone you dick, dick. <laughs> you know so like that whole scene it's and it's it com- for completely wrong reasons to the film like i'm you're not supposed to laugh at it. you're supposed to be terrified by these two but i like watching them it's like watching fucking laurel and hardy or evan costello to me with these two guys just bouncing off of one another it's so fun that's my figure looking good as that kitchen scene with Stuart Billy. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Final thoughts. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. All right, so like I said, I think that this film has a lot going for it. It's iconic, yes. I'm not going to argue that. I'm just going to come out and say, you know, it's a screenplay that's very full of itself. Um, however, I appreciate the imprint that it made in, in horror history and for the whole ghost face phenomenon. I still think ghost face is a badass looking character, you know, even though the mask, you know, it, it, it's, it's an unoriginal mask, but it's still cool to see that, you know, as a slash iconic slasher today, by today's standards, um, you know, it, it, it really revivalized, not only did it revitalize, uh, the horror, you know, industry, but Wes Craven himself, um, cause he, he needed that, that, that shot, you know, in the vein to, to just 
rejuvenate that career that was just going downhill fast. You know, normally, not normally, but you would have expected uh, the is it Vampire in Brooklyn was his, the film he did before this. Yeah. That would have been like, yeah. forgive me for the pun, but, you know, the, the nail in the coffin. <laughs> have but you ever seen that movie? Unfortunately, I have. <laughs> it's fucking Howard brings it up there. It's yeah, that movie's is bad. It's it's a good bad. It's like so you and see, you know, God bless him. He was able to fucking sign up for this film, and look what it did. It did wonders for him, yeah. for Williamson, for Nev Campbell, for everybody involved. It it, it did something for them. Um, we didn't even talk about Marco Beltrami's score in this film. You know, that film, that score is so iconic that it gets recycled into Halloween H2O. And it also is pretty much reused and repurposed, even though he did it himself because he does the score for him. But the, um, the Netflix Fear Street films that came out recently, he composed. And you can hear it, especially in during the credits of that first film, um, because I was listening to it or watching the film saying, did they really recycle the Scream score for this? Because it sounds like a spitting image of it. Um, and, and and yeah, it's it's really iconic. Uh, I really, the score. I, I, I'm surprised I didn't even before, mention that. Man, I really wish the scores would stand out to me the, the, the way that they do to some of you guys. Like, I only remember like, truly iconic ones, like <clears throat> the ones that have become, you know, ringtones and shit. But. <laughs> You know, that's that's so I, I, I always admire that when you bring up that conversation. I yeah, really do. but as far as longevity, uh, the concept overall, um, just I, I personal feelings aside, nostalgia aside, giving this an honest opinion based off of my recent rewatch after the first time in a, a, over a decade, I, I have to say I was a bit underwhelmed. But that's okay because it's still a good movie. I still enjoy it for what it is. I think it's ridiculous we're getting a fifth film out of this franchise in a couple months with this Scream with the same title, even though it's Scream 5 or 5 Scream, however you want to call it, or 5 Cream, whatever you want to say. But it's, um, yeah, it's a great concept for a one-and-done movie. Didn't need to have this many to go after it. But here we are today. And money talks. So um, we'll see. I'm not going to lie. Will I be there in January for this fucking movie? Hell yeah, I'm going to be there for it and check it out. But I'm not like sitting here counting down the days for it. I'm definitely going to see it. Yeah, don't get me wrong. But, you know, I I wish I could be more excited. But um, this was fine. This was fine. It's nothing. There's nothing wrong with Scream. Um, at, at, at the very least, I can enjoy it for nostalgic reasons because it does bring back a lot of nostalgia from the mid nineties in my childhood. So there's that. I mean, look, you took the words pretty much out of my mouth. I mean, I've, I, I, but I've been saying this from the inception. Yeah, the film is good, but it's nowhere near as great as it thinks it is right. and that everybody makes it out to be. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I dig it. You know, Ghostface was your new fucking mid nineties horror icon. Guess what? Cheaply remade at fucking, you know, Halloween adventure and every fucking. So it's not that much of cosplay. You know, it's fucking, I, I just, it was, it, again, it was, I guess it's a generational disconnect for me. Um, 
what I liked about it was the fact that it, you know, shined a light. It got more people into horror, so they started putting more money into horror. So yes. horror kind of yes. got to get where it yes. is now. Mm-hmm. You know, if it weren't for this, we wouldn't have that. Agreed. Or if it weren't for that, we wouldn't have this, is how I should say it. So that is the best con- contribution it made to my life, is making horror cool again to where studios were willing to risk on things that weren't fucking Merchant Ivory Productions guaranteed for umpteen Oscar I'm novels. confident to say we wouldn't have a Halloween H2O if it weren't for this. It's, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. So, um, or, or just even where the even where the the industry is today, or the genre is today, like getting the you know broad love. It's not just no longer the weird convention dudes that have got like long scraggly hair covered in tattoos and you know live in mom's basement with a bunch of signed action figures. Right. It's become fucking cool to be into this shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And more and more people are embracing that when it used to be something you kind of kept to yourself. Well, I never did. I was just like, look, this fucking movie fucked me up. You guys need to come get fucked up and watch this fucked up fucking thing. Right, just fucked right, me up. Exactly. You know what I mean? And I shared it. If you didn't like it, then fuck you. You weren't in the goddamn circle. I, I hung out with like-minded weirdos. I think we talked about that with Howard, hanging out with like-minded weirdos. Yep. You know? So that's the best part about Scream and what it did in the mid-90s is it, it like gave like-minded weirdos a bit of a spotlight. They could finally come out of the darkness, come into the sunlight. Yeah. You know? And it, it brought good and bad as anything's going to. You know? But it's like you said, one and done. We didn't need a fucking franchise with like I just said, three sequels and a revamp less than 30 years later. You know, let me have a kid before I could take him and say, hey, look at what I saw when you were young. Yeah, right. It didn't happen to me. <clears throat> I don't, I mean, it's it's good, gang, but it ain't great. There's so much better out there for you. Shoot a message our way, man. I, I, I'll, I'll give you a list of 20 fucking titles that are way better than this film. Well, here for something random. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Pogs. Why are we watching Scream and celebrating the 90s? Get your friends together and round the Pogs. <laughs> you never did that stupid shit with your slammers and your cardboard discs. For a round of Pogs so and use that eight ball double slammer. Oh my God. To collect them all. It's such a stupid hop. Pogs available on MJ Designs. <laughs> and all that being said, this film definitely gets the film effect seal of approval, and that will bring things in for this edition of the show one down, many more to follow. And if you enjoyed this edition of the show and want to continue to support the show, a lot of shows here, then please do so by leaving a five star rating and positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever accessible. It helps with the algorithm and helps us grow so more people can check us out. Remember to check out our website at Pod Page, where you will find our ever-growing collection of previous episodes. You can buy some merch from tpublic.com slash user slash film effect podcast. Um, and you can also join us this coming Friday as we travel to Midian to discuss Cabal, mm-hmm. Decker, mm-hmm. Narcisse, mm-hmm. and so much more. Mm-hmm. As Sean and I break down mm-hmm. Nightbreed. Mm-hmm. Dear classic of ours that we can't wait to talk about on the show. Um, 
So yeah, before we get out of here, I uh, just wanted to throw out one more thanks uh, to Howard Berger for agreeing to join us for this episode. Yeah, thanks, and, Howard. Uh, had the conversation with Hell us yeah. the other day, the other night, and um, yeah, it was a great talk. Definitely a highlight, um, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, like Howard said, um, I guess watch Scream. You know, it's not totally bad. It's not yeah. terrible. It's a good film. Yeah. It's that time of the year. It's yeah, the four tw- things it's, you could do in two hours of your life, man. It's for the, real. It's the 25th anniversary, but our personal feelings aside, um, we do definitely support the film and want you guys to uh, revisit it. And um, yeah, so we got that. And we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And we cannot wait to talk to you guys this coming Friday on Nightbreed. Uh, mm. About Nightbreed. But until then, Sean, take us out. All righty, gang. And now I shall see y'all here again when those theater lights go down. The opening credits begin to roll. And this has been another edition of the Film Effect Podcast. So for myself and Sean, stay safe out there. Enjoy the rest of your day. Happy Halloween. And until next time, it has been fun. But now it is done. <laughs> Check you later. See ya.